0: Merry Christmas. Merry
1: Welcome. Christmas, strangers.
0: Welcome to our Christmas special surprise. Of the A surprise. <laughs> you didn't know this was coming, did you? Nope. Total surprise. And, yes, hello, we're doing yep, another we're on video. video. If you're if you're listening to this, just head on over to YouTube if you want to see our ugly mugs. Yeah, we're I don't know why you would want to. And our but, ugly mugs.
1: Wow, that light is
0: bright. Yeah, this is well. This is weird. This is Kurt, Corey, Krista. Um, wow, <laughs> we just finished wrapping up season seven. Season seven is done. Yeah, it's unbelievable. This is
1: the bridge between season seven and Aww, season eight. It's The bridge. It is the bridge. Next season I want to get a Santa Cap for our Christmas episode because I don't feel festive enough okay but thank you for joining us on Christmas as longtime listeners I think,
0: are we releasing this on Christmas, Christmas Eve? Eve yeah yep so. as long
1: time listeners know we generally release this Christmas Eve in case some of you guys are traveling on Christmas Eve and Christmas and want something to listen to you can listen to us babble mindlessly, as we do every episode. <laughs> it's basically what so we do. So we hope you guys are having a beautiful Christmas. It is Christmas Eve here. We drove down, especially on Christmas Eve, in a snowstorm. In a
0: snowstorm. Uh, yep. Listening
1: to Bing Crosby.
0: Fighting reindeer left and right.
1: <laughs> yep. But this we just wanted to do this for you guys because we it's tradition now that we do our Christmas episode, and it's tradition that we always try to deny that we're going to do a Christmas yeah. episode, of course.
0: And also, it's our break, so we know some people... Miss Get a us. little sad when yeah, there's nothing to Yeah, some people miss us to. a little
1: bit. Not sure why, but we love that you guys not do. Not so
2: much. You guys, yes.
1: No, they miss you. You are, you are our <laughs> you beloved are f- yes, guest co-host. The favorite guest host, yes. Corey. Yep, oh. everybody loves when you come on.
0: They do.
1: Do we have any banter other than that? Because <laughs> we think really, I'm all bantered out. Yeah, I think we're all bantered out because we literally just got done recording the season seven finale.
0: We did. Uh, the uh,
2: strange cellar will be different when you guys come back. Yeah, yeah, strange
1: cellar. They're gonna re. They're gonna paint. We're they're gonna going, paint, going to brighten it Are you up gonna a move little. stuff around?
0: I think we're going to. We'll, well, everything will have to come off the walls. Yeah. They can't see that, but we have whiteboards on both sides, just full of letters and pictures and postcards and stickers that our listeners have sent us over the last seven seasons and we've run out of space like
1: Corey said the last episode like the first time he came down here there was like (laughs) hardly anything there was like one court one little corkboard, and now it's literally every wall has has strange session stuff that you guys have sent us
2: it's, it's chris's place we could move it to the you know uh Chef's quarters, we could move it, you know, to the fourth or fifth floor.
1: Oh yeah. It's the you mansion know. here. It yeah, could no, be anywhere. <laughs> servants <you know? laughs> quarters. <laughs> the servants' quarters. Wow. Uh, could, I
2: got an upgrade. Yeah. yeah we <laughs> if we need room, it's like seven thousand square
1: feet. So Wow. Yeah. So you have a nice place.
0: Thanks. Yeah. Um
1: but yeah, it's gonna change. Yeah. It's so. just gonna
0: brighten it up, hopefully have some better display areas for all of the things that we've been given. Like he's amazing. Little pickles. And it would
1: be cool to have it on like behind us on the wall yeah. back here. So we'll figure, we'll figure something out. <laughs> we'll figure something out. Yeah. yeah. We're still new to this video stuff. So we're trying to figure this out.
0: Well, and, and I'd like us to be seated in a way that makes sense for video too. We, Kurt is, Kurt's usually here. I stole his spot this week, and he's very salty well, about I, it. it. Uh, I'm not cool. happy. Very salty. Harsh my mellow. And I usually sit there, so my back would be to you right now, yeah. which is not a good look. Well, maybe it is. Maybe you would prefer that. I don't uh, know. I don't but, know. So we we want to sit on the same side of the table, but this table's kind of small. I don't know. We just, we're just we going to figure out a lot of stuff over the break. Well, Jim is going to help me figure this out, my husband. Um, And I don't know. We might be changing things up a bit. I might get another camera. I might try to do something a little more... I don't know, professional? Just keep professional your- Professional
1: and strange <laughs> sessions just do not go good No, together. keep your
0: so we're uh, try. expectations low. Yeah, very low, <laughs> like, low. like Like,
1: like yeah. Uh,
2: Kirk can bring his camera set up from his bedroom. Oh. a second one there. Ba-dump, ba-dump. For my
1: yeah, OnlyFans.
0: For your, your OnlyFans only yeah. site. <laughs>
1: like, that would make any money.
2: If you want to see um, what his
0: podcasting undies look like, go to his OnlyFans <laughs> site.
1: <laughs> I just, re- just recorded my podcasting <laughs> undies. My lucky podcasting underwear. <laughs>
0: hey they've gotten us through seven seasons uh, hopefully
2: your handle isn't the strange sessions because that would be that would be weird
1: yeah that would be weird (laughs) (laughs)
0: strange sessions hey man on that (laughs) note
1: uh should we jump into the christmas taste test let's do it Corey. first of all pop one of those fried chicken candies that we tried in a previous episode because also
0: real quick if you don't want to sit through this check the show notes we'll have the topic start timestamp posted there but maybe just try sticking it out
1: those those fried chicken candies not so good
0: we didn't. What we should have told him they were delicious.
1: He he listened to the I episode. He oh shoot, that's oh. right. He's
0: a, <laughs> he's just
1: smelling it. His, like
0: the smell. Level and I can smell it already. Yeah.
1: At first, it's I'm like an herb. The face it's like for a, him.
0: sage. Right, you get sage.
2: It tastes like off chicken. That's what, like like, like bad
0: chicken, chicken that's been sitting around yeah. for if a while. If you can't
1: finish it, it's okay because none of we us could finish the out. candy because it yes. got progressively worse.
0: Disgusting. It's actually getting better. <sighs> Typical Corey fashion, the dunder salt almost killed us, and he was like, "This is pretty good."
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: I like this. He ate the dried bugs with no problem.
1: All right, take that out now. Take out the candy because.
0: Oh yeah, we have more. Oh yeah, we have today
1: <laughs> the new. It's good.
0: You ready? I'm ready, ready for one of our taste tests. I am
1: by the same makers of that. Oh really? Andy McPhee? Archie McPhee. Archie, Archie. McPhee. Archie By McPhee. the same makers. What's Christmas without candy? We are trying ketchup flavored candy.
0: Oh, no. I feel like some of the Mexican candies we tried yeah, tasted, tasted like, like ketchup that. for some reason. Okay. I'm so gonna we're going to try this. Can-
1: <laughs> what do you think of the fried chicken?
0: It doesn't it's, have a good aftertaste, if it's I remember correctly.
2: I, I kind of want to put it back in so I can. You can have it after the, the, ketchup the ketchup candy. I got a
1: feeling the ketchup candy is going to be nasty. I-
0: I love ketchup, by the I way. I love
1: ketchup to a point, but I don't think there should be yeah. candy that tastes like ketchup because that's...
2: You tried the ketchup Doritos, I think they were? No,
1: I did not try there was Zero
0: mustard. struggle opening that package. Good job. Christmas like miracle.
2: Ketchup Doritos hey. were okay. The hot mustard was really good. Ketchup Doritos? Yeah. yeah, they made ketchup. Well, ketchup
1: potato
0: chips are... Look at how unassuming this looks. They're not <laughs> It <gonna be laughs> looks able to very unassuming. This. It, it like looks like sort of unappealing, too, stride? at the same
1: time. Okay. I'm a little scared about this one because ketchup's one of those things that I'm weird about. Like, I'll love it, but then I'll hate it. I
0: can't smell it yet. I guess I should I'm take a picture. Once oh, that t- <laughs> oh, totally great. smells like ketchup. Hmm. Oh, it does smell <laughs> like ketchup. I was not expecting that. Hold on. I I'm a, a little
1: picture. scared about this one. Come on. It's got oh, a little tang, a little, a, little t- a little tomato <laughs> tang it to it. Tasted already, oh. kind of. I can't taste, it smells so much like ketchup.
0: not looking forward to this. It's, it's
1: either going to be okay or it's going to be awful. I don't know which one it's going to no be. There's no in between. I don't think there's going to be a good, <laughs> but yeah, I think it's, it's going to be, be okay or I think it's going to be awful. You ready? Okay, ready. Try it. It tastes like spaghetti sauce. You're,
0: it does taste like spaghetti, like marinara. Oh. It's spicy. How are you not offended I'm not by this? ketchup.
1: I'm not getting
2: spice. I'm getting spice and no ketchup.
0: You think it's spicy? Mm-hmm. Okay. How I'm do getting you not think sauce. It's spicy? Uh, oh. I'm get. I get what you're saying. I'm not getting ketchup from it at all. Mm-hmm. I just taste tomato, and it's hot for some reason, and weirdly sweet.
2: Why am I not getting spicy? I'm getting spicy. I can feel it like in the bottom of my back of my throat. Yep, already. my
0: tongue in the back of my throat, like almost like cinnamon.
2: Yeah, I like. This. It's got
0: that bite that cinnamon has. I'm not gonna say I like it. Yeah,
2: it's like a like you took some
1: spaghetti sauce,
2: and poured some cinnamon
1: in it.
0: I don't like it. It's like a candy cane that went wrong.
1: I'm giving it a 7 out of 10. Like it's it's I don't know how you don't get the spice. I don't. And I, I'm Ugh. I'm freaking out because I'm not Gross. getting any Do I have covid? I'm like not getting any <laughs> spice.
0: Yeah, like, you're the one who's usually totally offended by unsuspecting like, yeah. the spicy that, stuff. That's scorpion lollipop
2: that I had with the five different spices. Yeah. This is almost as hot as that. Yeah, really? it's hot.
0: Yeah. It's spicy.
1: I'm getting a no spice.
0: How did you not get a spicy one? I'm I, offended by that.
1: I like, <laughs> I kind of like this. Yeah. I, like the tomato, like I the spaghetti not. sauce taste kind of went away. And now it's just like kind of a piece of candy. But I'm, now I'm getting like the burn. Like when you eat, a, like a cinnamon disc yeah. candy. A little bit of a burn, but like mm. nothing.
0: That surprises me. Yeah. Mine's a step
2: up from that cinnamon disc candy. This is, this has got some kick.
1: Huh. I'm a little weirded out. Giving it, I'm it not... a four. <laughs> I'm giving it a seven. I, I don't mind this. I'm not yeah. offended by it. I'll give it spice-wise or taste-wise.
2: I mean, I like it but for <laughs> spice. I don't taste the ketchup. I would not. I taste spaghetti sauce and I
1: love spaghetti sauce, but I'm gonna spit my nose just because I'm. I don't want to do this the entire episode. Yeah, I was trying but to think what I, it is.
2: To me, it tastes like the sauce that comes in like. Ravioli, like the canned. Yeah, sure. It tastes sure. like yeah, yeah, yeah. It
1: tastes like Chef Boyardee yeah. spaghetti sauce. Yep. It tastes like you were eating a candy cane and dipped it. Accidentally Ugh. dropped it in spaghetti yes. sauce. It has 100% it. Blech. But no spice.
0: That's weird.
1: And then we got this from Clara, my student Clara, ex student Clara.
0: Oh, do I need to open this envelope too? That says Which one stickers. Is it? Yeah, let's open okay. those. Clara sent us. She gave us all these little handmade. Things. Yes. I don't know how well. Thank people you can so see much, that. Clara. The camera's so far away that we're just like little dots on the screen.
1: She sent us she knows I got she
0: like made the envelope. I got stickers. Too. I know.
1: Clara is adorable oh and awesome.
0: <gasps> oh.
1: and I got Kurt stickers. Very I didn't get nice. any Cory stickers. <laughs> I'll give you a sticker. <laughs> she made these stickers. She did. Oh up. my God.
0: <laughs> well, I think some of these are bought.
1: These are so cute. cute.
0: There's like little oh mine's like frogs maybe it's because i talked about my Toadtopia. oh i betcha <laughs> i got like
1: She just gave us mushrooms
0: cool. oh my god these okay are i'll so post cute. we'll post pictures of all these mushrooms so clara loves
1: mushrooms cute. like she always whenever i bought her stickers she wanted mushrooms clara thank you so much Aww, these are adorable She's so oh thoughtful. a cat a little cat sticker thank you so much clara Oh, She is awesome. Lots of mushrooms. She loves mushrooms. Thank you, Clara. And now we have this taste test from Clara. It says I don't know much about these candies or others. It says lovely ginger chews.
0: I still have some ginger candy that was amazing. Oh, that might be it. That
1: might be it. Corey gets one.
0: We, we got something very cheese. similar to this before, and I absolutely adore them. They're also spicy. Oh, ginger <laughs> is kind of spicy. Ooh, I should have taken... I bet it's the same Take exact a thing. Take a picture for yeah, that. I got to do that. I still have the bag, and I, I eat them every once in a while because they're delicious. Ready? Okay. Smells good.
1: Mmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God.
0: Mm. Oh, these are so good.
1: That's really good. Mm-hmm. That's not what I was expecting. Mm.
2: Yeah, oh. we've
0: had something very similar, and it was. I like. See that. now that do yeah. you get a little spice from it it's too? Almost
2: like a caramel with a little ginger flavor to
1: it. Then ginger.
0: The with, texture is mm-hmm. so good.
1: I'm mm. giving that a nine out of ten. That's almost perfect.
0: Do you get spice from it? Mm. Hmm. I do. Oh, my throat's still on
1: fire from the ketchup. But, <laughs> why wasn't I affected by that?
0: I don't know. Mm. Mm.
1: This is really good. This is a. We, we had a. You see, owe me a Coke. Yep. That was a nine out of 10, easily bordering on 10 mm. out of 10 because yeah. it's perfect. I'll
0: give
2: her a nine out of 10. Mm.
1: Yep, 9 yeah. Nine out of 10. I'm giving it a 10. Mm, thank you, Clara.
0: Yes. So good. Those
1: are awesome. Now we get to this one. This one scares me.
0: Is this a first? This for is a us? first.
1: This is the first time that we are trying uh, liquor. And I believe that was sent to us. Was it? Oh, my God.
0: Didn't it come in the big box? Yes. Was that... um, Michaela? Oh, maybe. So many people have sent us big boxes full of stuff. Grave Robber Unholy Rye. It's a whiskey, right? Mm. (laughs) Someone tell me.
1: Oh, I just got spice from the Uh, ginger thing.
0: Finally. Finally.
2: I would say it to the listeners and viewers, which don't usually say that, if this podcast goes off the rails, you won't really know. <laughs> because of the because of, <laughs> because of, the, of the alcohol? The alcohol?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they should be drinking if they're gonna watch this. Okay. Yeah, I believe Ooh. that
1: was sent to us by Michaela a while ago.
0: Okay. I'm actually And it's it's to open maple
1: it. flavored. I love right. anything maple flavored. Oh, so you donuts? Yeah, do donuts Corey bought me.
0: Oh it smells like alcohol. I don't drink ever, so I'm taking the tiniest Ooh, yeah, sip. Yeah, like it's whiskey. strong.
1: It <laughs> smells like whiskey.
0: Oh, God. Dripping. Are we dripping? The whiskey is. <laughs> all right. Who's going first?
1: I wonder if we should have mugs. I'll just take a shot out of
0: it. I'll just take a shot. I'm not afraid. You sure? I'm not. Yeah.
1: Are we all just taking shots out of it? Yep. Or-
0: we're all friends. Here's, here's, Hopefully, you don't have COVID. <laughs> here's to you on Christmas. Oh, that seems like it. A... Oh, <laughs> oh.
1: I'm getting no maple. <laughs> I'm getting just. I'm get, oh, Ooh. you're getting
0: something.
2: I'm, get,
1: I'm getting. It I'm getting. I'm uh, getting. So... It's just straight up
0: whiskey. Like I'm gonna get a hangover just smelling it. Oh, okay, that I mean? is
1: burning. That's burning going down. Throat's already on fire from the ketchup.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god.
1: Do you get any maple? Okay, I get an aftertaste. I get a maple, a little bit of maple syrup aftertaste. Whew.
0: I'm warm. All
1: right, so Okay Okay, I'm, the aftertaste the thing isn't is, bad. No, the thing is I'm not a whiskey guy, but this aftertaste is really good.
2: I don't
0: think I know my alcohol's No, but to I know.
1: I'm liking this
2: aftertaste. All right, so an unholy rye whiskey infused with maple syrup, tapped from the graveside maple trees. On the property of Tamworth Distilling lies a malignant old maple whose roots burrow deep into the nearby unmarked colonial era era graveyard. That's creepy. What would happen if we tapped some of that sinister sap and added it to our whiskey? Spicy yet sweet. Now I know why she sent it to us. Yeah. Evil yet divine, the life of the grave robber begins where yours ends. Drink it if you dare.
0: It's a whiskey. <laughs> I'm. I, it has that like warming feeling that you get. Like I don't mind that. I think that'd be good mixed but in something.
1: I get no. The only time I, I get, get maple, maple is at the aftertaste.
0: I'll be honest. I still have a little ginger aftertaste in my mouth too. Yeah, the maple's. Oh. <laughs> oh. I'm done. I'm not doing I'm, anymore. I want to take that home. Yeah, yeah you take I'll that like... home. One hundred percent. You gonna add your
2: coffee? No.
0: <laughs> Ugh. What would you mix that with? I tried
1: whiskey and coffee. Like I can't. The only thing I can do in coffee is rum shada because it's like a creamer. Or like Bailey's
0: uh, or something. Oh, that's burning. So what would you mix this with if you were making a mixed drink? Would you put this with like Coke or something? i do like a Coke vanilla. Hmm.
1: Uh, This is
0: not bad. I mean,
1: as far as whiskeys, I've had... I'm gonna give this a. I'm gonna give this a ten out of. Oh, 10. Oh yeah, we have to rate it. I seriously, I'm gonna give it a ten out of ten because I like the aftertaste, and I have never in my life liked the aftertaste of a whiskey before.
2: For as infrequently as I drink, I wouldn't know what good Same. whiskey versus what like two buck chuck Agreed. whiskey <laughs> yeah, would be. Yeah, you know. So I, it's good. I just I, I would never drink it by itself unless it was a shot of some nature. But yeah,
0: what do you give it? I give
2: it a seven out of ten. Don't have much to compare it to, but
3: Kurt's
0: gonna be drunk Kurt's by the time this for... episode is over. He's driving uh, home. <laughs> Kurt's driving. I'll give it a six. Oh, I'm not an alcohol person. Definitely not a hard liquor person. I but I survived it.
2: Going back to the ketchup after the whiskey. <sighs> oh, was why not would right you yet. do that?
1: Yeah, I uh, I surprisingly like that. Hmm. It would be really good mix we with made I'm a not dance. I'm not somebody to drink whiskey on the rocks, me. but it would be good mix with something. Like I'm giving it a nine out of ten wow. because it it's it's that good.
2: I've never been one to, to do that. Like even watching movies or TV shows where people go over and they pour themselves a drink and just something neat no like I can't
3: for me I can't but
1: that mixed with something would be good like I'm impressed with that I really like if
0: I had as much as you just did I'd be buzzed right now I'm
1: feeling a little bit of a
0: (laughs) (laughs) I was just it was just kicking in I'm feeling a little
1: bit of a something or other
0: I feel like I'm a mess already in these episodes I don't need to be drunk on top of it Kurt's
2: going to be halfway through his topic and go hit
1: his head against the wall three times
0: (laughs) bang my head against
1: a rock outside
0: to our wow. last episode,
1: okay. Yeah, I'm feeling a little bit of a something here going on, <laughs> anyway. Housekeeping, Merry Christmas! Merry
4: Christmas.
1: <laughs> uh, I want to say we've mentioned Barry, mm-hmm. like, Barry is a member of our ghost hunting group. Yep. We absolutely love Barry to death, and we've been in contact with her she is going to be joining us on our ghost investigation coming up but i wanted to say that for a little christmas treat at the end of this episode stick around until after the end music we are going to attach a 20 minute podcast that Barry and i recorded back on april 22nd 2007 a long Damn. time ago and like podcasts were just like coming out at that time mm-hmm. it, was, it was super new and her and I, she was she stayed over at our apartment when I was dating Natalie because I think, if I remember right, Barry was a referee for roller derby.
0: Yes. And mm-hmm. she
1: stayed she had one in Appleton, so she stayed at our apartment. And when she was there, her and I did like four different recordings. Like it's like of a five minute one, just a basic introduction, because it was our idea to do a podcast at the time. And we did one that's twenty minutes long, and that's what I'm gonna attach after the end music. So if you want a little something to listen to, it was really good. And and Barry, like you, like Barry would be great on she here. Would be. Like Barry is awesome. We'd love her to death. So stick around till after the end music and listen to the podcast that we did. Whew, I got a little dizziness going on. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys, uh, jump into your whoever wants to go first. Jump into your stories. We each picked a story to do for the Christmas episode. Mine has a very minor tie in to Christmas, otherwise, it's not. But Chris is going to go first.
0: Mine is okay. I just want to preface this by saying I don't want to offend anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just find this really fascinating, and really, at its core, it's just history. Um, you're right over there? Yeah. <laughs> that's starting to hit me now. He's Holy cow. I fall asleep halfway through my episode. <laughs> just gotta true. put my spectacles on. That'd be a riveting video
1: of me just sleeping here in my chair while you're reading. <laughs>
0: yeah, somebody's <laughs> probably into that. Um, I don't know if it's because I'm very German and, like, there's, you know, roots roots going back to, like, ancient Germanic pagans, and that's where a lot of Christmas traditions come from. So that's what I'm talking about today. The fact that a lot of the stuff that we celebrate in modern times around Christmas actually have their roots in paganism. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not trying to offend anyone (laughs) because there's a lot of Christians who probably, you know, celebrate the same things or have the same traditions. And I don't think it's very commonly known maybe that these, a lot of these things are actually pre-Christian traditions. So I got this from um, the history cooperative.org. Um, So what are the pagan origins of Christmas? They're complex, intertwined with various cultural and religious traditions, including some pagan elements. While Christmas is primarily celebrated as a Christian holiday commemorating the birth of Jesus Christ, it coincides with the winter solstice and incorporates elements from pre-Christian traditions. The winter solstice for the Northern hemisphere takes place on the 22nd of December the day when the earth's axis is tilted furthest away from the sun. It is the shortest day of the year and is meant to mark the beginning of winter in the Northern hemisphere, but it is also a time of hope because from that point on it will become lighter. And I think in some areas it's referred to as like the festival of light, which is ironic because it's actually the darkest day of the year. Um, Yule is another part of that. What Kurt I'm is? Buzz. Like getting... <laughs> <laughs> I'm seriously buzzed from that whiskey. Uh, Holy cow! He's gonna be giggling at oh, stuff. Wow. And, oh wow! <laughs> okay, is go so on. Oof! Okay, uh, that hit me. A lot of people in the modern world may not even know that this winter celebration actually has nothing to do with the scriptures or religion. This may be even more surprising to learn that Christmas celebrations like decorating with holly, putting up Christmas trees, kissing under the mistletoe are all rooted in ancient fertility rituals. These are all symbolic, symbolic acts to celebrate the fertility of the earth and the approach of the sowing season. So who are the pagans? Before we start throwing that word around, let's figure out who they were. Or who they are. Paganism was originally a word used by the early Christians to refer to the polytheist, poly, oh,
1: polytheistic
0: Thank you, Romans. What it essentially means is non-Christian. It could apply just as well to the Norse people in Scandinavia or the ancient Celts in the British Isles. As the Christian missionaries began to roam around Western Europe and the larger world, they used the term pagan to refer to anyone who did not share their beliefs on religion their multiple gods were classed within the single category of pagan gods. I don't know if anybody watches The Last Kingdom on um, Netflix. I'm a huge fan, but it's it's so true that the the Christians of that time referred to anyone who didn't believe in God or in their religion as heathens and pagans. And of course they in in that show they're primarily Danes,
2: Vikings or whatever. Vikings,
0: yeah. In the first few centuries of Christianity, the Christians wanted to spread their religion around Europe, but they were also quite fascinated by the religions that already existed. They knew that it would be difficult for ordinary people to completely divorce themselves from everything they had always known. This included the celebrations for winter solstice. They had to give the people something that was familiar and known. Given that Jesus was born around the same time, but apparently that's actually up for question and debate. We'll get to that at the end. Um, It was easy enough to incorporate existing traditions into the celebration of the birth of Jesus. Um, I'm going to skip over some of this. Yule. Yule. <laughs> I, Ooh, I think okay. it's going to continue to kick in too. Like, it is. You're so not if the I stumble full over words right now, more than usual in mine, it's like Kurt took an edible. I make sure I go next. He's going to be yeah, can, go next can, so I have time can watch to sober this train up. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
1: That's why we don't do liquor on our taste oh, tests. Oh my goodness! Maybe
2: yeah, we should be doing.
1: Liquor. No, we should. <laughs> Maybe <laughs> Maybe more entertaining. Boost our rating. This is
0: way more entertaining for the people watching the video. I will say. So Yule. Other than Saturnalia, one of the festivals that had a huge influence on Christmas was Yule, which I actually celebrate because I think it's fun. Celebrated <laughs> largely by the Norse people in northern Europe, many of the old Yule traditions have become Christmas traditions today. The celebrations lasted for 12 days and huge bonfires were lit. Feasting and drinking were a big part of the celebrations. The night before Yule was called Mother's Night. The Yule tree was decorated around the time of winter of the winter solstice, and the Yule log would be lit so that families could feast and be merry by the fire all night. I bake a Yule log cake. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. The Yule ham was a huge aspect of this celebration, since the boar was sacred to the pagan god Freyr. The Christians have appropriated many of these traditions to celebrate Christmas. I feel like I don't want to be disrespectful, like... <laughs> When, I, when it says things like the Christians have appropriated many of these, but I guess that's you're factually wrong, what has happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another important pagan holiday during the winter solstice was the birthday of the Greek god. Greek god. Gog. Jeez, I'm getting <laughs> drunk. <Yeah. laughs> um, Dionysus. The Greek god of wine was celebrated with wild revelry, feasts, drunkenness, hey, Dude. and merrymaking over 12 days. We're just celebrating Yule here. His birthday yeah, was supposed 200. to be on the 25th of December. The festival was called Bacchanalia and was one marked by wildness and excess.
1: Bacchanalia, that's what Bacchanalia, like if somebody describes a party as being a total Bacchanalia, Sorry. that means it's off the rails. Off crazy.
0: the rails. Bacchus
2: was the god of wine.
1: Bacchus was the god of wine.
0: In Finland, the sun goddess Bu, Bui? was celebrated during this time. I'm probably butchering all these names. She was said to ride on a sleigh made of reindeer bones Ew. and pulled by, <laughs> <laughs> pulled by white reindeer. Perhaps she was a precursor to Santa Claus. The Slavic people too had their own winter solstice festivals. Karakan is a pagan holiday that is celebrated in honor of the black god Chernobor- Chernoborg. Wow. Very similar to Sawin and Halloween, This was the day when all Slavic gods associated with darkness and decay were most potent. However, the white god or the sun god is resurrected resurrected the next day and triumphs again. Ancient Slavs lit fires in cemeteries and crossroads on this day to keep their loved ones warm. Feasts were organized to honor the dead and feed them. These practices have merged with modern Christmas traditions. Many of the Christmas traditions that we celebrate today are descended from pagan traditions. This includes the practice of exchanging gifts, decorating houses and trees, door-to-door carolers, the use of holly and mistletoe, and even the kind of food that is usually prepared. For instance, the yule log, a cake commonly eaten in Western Europe, is more symbolic than anything now, meant to invoke the bonfires of ages past. So back in those days, they would actually basically take a tree— a huge log something that would they could light for like 12 days huh. that's what that's it was big tree now yeah. we just make cakes <laughs> <laughs> i guess you can make that last 12 Wind. days what does the christmas tree symbolize a huge part of a modern christmas is decorating christmas trees i feel like everybody has a christmas tree right i got the oh, little flannel one you gave me oh that's right i gave you a flannel christmas <laughs> yep. tree Um, Modern Christmas trees probably originated in Germany during the Renaissance. The lighting of candles on evergreen trees in order to celebrate Christmas is sometimes traced back to the Protestant reformer Martin Luther. However, the Christmas tree has much more ancient predecessors. The Romans used to hang small metal ornaments on trees outside their home during Saturnalia. Each ornament had some kind of association with a god or even the family's patron saint. The Roman poet Catullus, in his poem Marriage of Gosh, Peleus and Thetis spoke of the. Gods. Does anyone anyone know? No. Uh, nope. Spoke of the gods decorating in the comments. Somebody correct me. Spoke <laughs> of the gods decorating the home of Peleus with evergreen trees like laurel and cypress. Evergreen trees and wreaths and garland made of them were significant to the Egyptians, Egyptians, Hebrews, and Chinese. They represented eternal life. For the early Germanic tribes decorating hey to my ancestors decorating trees with fruits and candles in honor of odin was a common practice trees were very important i had a student named odin
1: oh really yeah i think that's such a cool name
0: it is a cool name yeah trees were very important in norse mythology because of oh boy yggdrasil yeah the vikings and saxons worshipped trees early germanic folktales about saint boniface and donors oak talk of how an evergreen tree grew in the place of the felled oak the triangular shape was supposed to be reminiscent of the Trinity and an indication to look toward heaven. Thus, we conclude that the we can conclude that the Christmas tradition of setting up a tree is rooted in ancient pagan beliefs. What about gift giving and caroling?
1: Does anybody G- even carol anymore?
0: I think I feel I like think Christmas so. caroling was like
1: a older. I like feel like 50s.
0: if you went to a mall, you could find some carolers. I know we did it, like you carol at somebody's I house did it these as days. A kid I feel like you like get nursing shot. Nursing homes, we would go and do that stuff. Yeah, we did that, first. like when I was
1: yeah. like in CCD or religion class, mm-hmm. we yep. we'd carol at like the I hospitals. Was in the choir. But I don't feel like anybody carols because I feel like oh. these days you'll get shot if you go on somebody's <laughs> right? property.
0: Just do it to their ring doorbell. <laughs> be good enough. <laughs> Gift giving is a common practice during most festivals. Uh, these are occasions where we can show our affection for our loved ones in the form of material presence. Leaving Christmas gifts under the Christmas tree might be a very modern practice, but the very act of giving gifts to your family is as old as humans themselves. The Romans gave each other small gifts during the Saturnalia in the hopes of a bountiful harvest the next day. It was a way of wishing each other good luck. Even Christmas carols have ancient roots. The Christmas carols in themselves and their lyrics might be more modern, but the tradition is probably Anglo-Saxon. The Anglo-Saxon tradition of going door to door and singing to your neighbors was called wassailing. It came from the phrase was hail," meaning good health. Every year, these singers would roam around the village in small groups, serenading their neighbors and wishing away evil spirits and bad health. The wassailers usually carried a traditional drink with them, made from mulled ale, roasted apples, spices, eggs, sugar, and curdled cream. They <laughs> lost like, me at the curdled ta- cream. That might be a taste test for a future <laughs> Christmas Sounds episode. Sounds like the shot you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> Cement mixer. <laughs> Uh, St. Francis in the 13th century took inspiration from the wassailers and began the Christmas tradition of door-to-door carolers. Now we get to holly and mistletoe. Holly and mistletoe were both sacred plants for the pagans. Kissing under the mistletoe and decorating homes with holly were originally pagan traditions. Now they have become such an intrinsic part of Christmas that it would be difficult to imagine the holiday without them. During Saturnalia, the Romans would exchange wreaths made of holly for good luck. Holly was a plant, a holy plant that was associated with Saturn, the god of agriculture. The early Christians were lucky that the festival of Saturnalia almost coincided with Jesus' birth. Since they were often heavily persecuted, Saturnalia gave them a cover to celebrate their own festivals without being discovered. Mm. Clever. (laughs) Thus, they began to take on this pagan custom and decorated their homes with Holly to make it look like they were celebrating Christmas. This made it... (laughs) And people are still being persecuted for their religious beliefs today. (laughs) This made it easier for them to recognize each other in the midst of other communities. They continued the practice even after paganism disappeared from Europe. Kissing under the mistletoe, one of the most popular Christmas traditions. Have either of you kissed someone under the mistletoe? No. No. I have. Kissing under mistletoe. <laughs> you wanted, like, you <laughs> Corey, wanted to go into detail there <laughs> Corey first, and I so looked at each other and we're like, should we ask? Yeah. I have been with <laughs> the same man for 26 years. So True. let's Good just point. say <laughs> One of the most popular Christmas traditions also has pagan roots. The ancient Norse, Celts, and their Druids were all obsessed with mistletoe to a certain extent. Also, the plant was considered sacred to Saturn and the ancient Romans would perform fertility rituals under it. In other words, they had sex under the mistletoe plants for the sake of a bountiful harvest. A kiss is certainly a step down from that. Yeah, it is. Um, For the Druids, mistletoe stood for peace and joy. When two enemies met under a sprig of mistletoe, they were required to drop their weapons and form a truce till the next day. Kissing under the mistletoe is a metaphorical truce of sorts. The plant was supposed to protect one from evil spirits and have magical powers. What about Santa Claus? Is that a pagan concept? We know that's not really Christian. I don't. How, I think Santa how Claus often, is a pagan concept. Yeah. How often do you hear people say, "Let's put the Christ back in Christmas"? And Santa Claus usually isn't part of that. But, but I'm sorry. I grew up. I was raised Catholic. I went to a Catholic school. Santa was definitely part of my upbringing. So, modern Christmas celebrations are incomplete without Santa Claus. Santa Claus is a bastardized version of the name Saint Nicholas. Wow, it's very harsh. Very harsh. The image that we were, are all familiar with today was developed, shockingly enough, by Coca-Cola in the 1930s. St. Nicholas, also known as Santa Claus or Father Christmas, was the patron saint of children, prostitutes, <laughs> and the poor. He lived during the... Hey, everybody needs Close a patron together. saint. Christmas. <laughs> there's lived- a lot
1: of controversy about whether or not Coca-Cola actually is responsible oh, for... really? Yeah. Like, there's people that... Don't believe that Could Coca-Cola is responsible. That there might be a side session. That actually might be a side session
0: coming up. Nice. Um, St. Nicholas lived during the 4th century and was well-known for giving small gifts to children and the poor. A generous bishop, he had a long beard and wore a large cloak. However, the orange origins of a Santa-like figure are much older. Odin, the much-loved... Much-loved king of the Norse gods was a bearded old man who was believed to leave gifts for children. He is usually depicted as an old man with a long white beard, and he had an eight-legged horse called Sleepner? Yeah, Slepner. Sleipnir. Odin would ride Sleptner across the sky, just as Santa does with his reindeer. Young children would fill their booties with straw and carrots during the winter. <laughs> I'm assuming they're talking about socks. Yeah. <laughs> and leave well, them by the door. Sorry to snort in oh, the microphone. Kind
2: of goes back to the Reddit subreddit. <laughs> it does go back to that
0: Reddit. <laughs> Again, listen to our last episode. They would be rewarded with little gifts for their bo- or in their booties. <laughs> Not for their booties. Wow. This, Boy, is, going this, this <laughs> is going
1: off the rails. This is going off the rails. This took a turn. We're going to blame the whiskey.
0: This was the true beginning of Santa Claus and the stockings that we leave out on Christmas Eve. Um, so I was going to, this is the part that I was like, do I talk about it or not? Was Jesus really born on Christmas? The simple answer is no.
1: We're going to get protested. I know. We're going to go viral.
0: Jesus was probably not born on the 25th of December. Easter was actually the main holiday of the early Christians. In the first few centuries of Christianity, Jesus' birth was not celebrated in the big way that it is now. The Bible does not even mention a specific date for the birth. Indeed, it was only in the 4th century CE that Pope Julius I declared the 25th of December as the official birthday of Jesus of Nazareth. Not only is the day of his birth not known, historians cannot even pin down his year of birth. It was most probably between 6 BCE and 4 BCE, the year in which King Herod died. Some scholars have challenged the winter birth in the first place, arguing that shepherds would not have been grazing their flocks in winter, which that I, makes I've a lot of a sense. I've heard a lot that
1: people theorize that his birthday would have been in spring. Yeah, mid-April not, is what yeah, it says. Yeah, and not so much Christmas. Which
0: coincides with Easter. Yeah, totally. That makes sense. Yeah. So it's really more of a, the 25th of December is really more of a symbolic date chosen mm-hmm. for completely different reasons. Um, so when was it first celebrated Christmas? The church decided to celebrate Christmas at the same time as the winter solstice to increase the chances of it being embraced by the masses. That's interesting. So that goes back to them wanting to incorporate something familiar from the people there with the people they were trying to bring over to their religion. But this meant they had to give up control over how it would be celebrated. It seems that they were successful since Christianity had almost completely replaced the pagan religions by the Middle Ages. <laughs> Kurt's taking pictures of the whiskey. I'm going to
1: send it to Michaela. I thought he was going back in for another sip. I uh, will before I start reading mine.
0: The first celebrations of Christmas started in the 4th century CE. What is CE? Anyone?
1: No, <laughs> I don't. No? We, we talk about that in school. In the comments. Is Christ's...
0: Well, there's before it's, it's Christ... Latin... It's, yeah,
2: wasn't it like normally BCE and then CE? I don't know. I think it's something Latin. I don't remember what it stands for.
0: I should have Googled current it. Era? Yeah, current era. Yeah, I think that. I think oh, that's current what it era. was. Okay. Believers attended church, exchanged Christmas gifts, and celebrated in a rather drunken carnival-like atmosphere. It was certainly not a sedate or dignified kind of festival, and people of all social classes came together to celebrate. It was only in the 17th century with the wave of Puritan religious reforms that this kind of Christmas celebration changed. In England, Oliver Cromwell and his government canceled Christmas in 1645 to remove decadence. The festival was was reinstated by Charles II when he took the throne, but the Puritans always looked down on the holiday. This is especially true of the Orthodox pilgrims who emigrated to the United States in the early 17th century. Only in the nineteenth century did the Americans begin to embrace Christmas and it did not become a federal holiday in America until eighteen seventy. So there you have it. The history, the pagan history of Christmas.
1: As we just lost a ton of listeners <laughs> that Krista offended with
0: sorry. History. It's just
1: No, history. the Christmas stuff is fascinating. Especially yeah, is the fascinating. stuff about Christ not actually being born around that time, but it's more of a celebration.
0: Nobody tells you
1: that. Yeah.
0: I grew up in the Catholic Church fully thinking that he was born on Christmas, Christmas Day.
1: No. Yeah. No, there's... A, but there is a lot... Like, people think that the red and white Santa Claus outfit came from Coca-Cola, but then there's other oh. people that say that's not so much from Coca-Cola, but like you said, that might be a...
0: What's interesting, though, is if you look at... I love images of old world Santa Clauses. Yeah. Like, more from the pagan, and they're usually wearing green.
1: Yes. It's always, like, green and white with, like, white fringe. White fur. So, cool. Very interesting.
0: Was it? I (laughs) thought so. Corey J. Corey J., what's your middle name? That is J. Oh, it's J. What's your middle name? Edward. Edward. Kurt Edward. Kurt Edward. Okay.
2: All right. uh, Mine's the Oakville incident. Um, If you ever watched Unsolved Mysteries, it was in Season 9, Episode 6. But Oakville, Washington, set in scenic Gray Harbor County, Gray's Harbor County, was incorporated in 1905, and the population uh, was around 715 that's in 2020. Small, a small little yep. city.
0: In 2020? In 2020. Okay. In
2: 1990, there were only around 493. So if you can picture Washington State in your mind, it's about 50 miles in from the Pacific Coast and right smack dab in the middle of the state, a little bit to the left side. Sounds like a nice place to live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a little south and west of Tacoma and Seattle. Um, On August 7th, 1994, it was raining. Not unusual for the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) It's like every day in the Pacific Northwest. (laughs) Not unusual for Oakville. At around 3 a.m., the rain, and from now on, rain will be in quotes, uh, started to take on a different look. About half the size of a grain of rice and appearing more gelatinous and translucent than normal rain. This rain happened again and again over the next three weeks, all encompassing an area of about 20 miles police officer David Lacey who was on patrol a day the rain fell said quote the substance was very mushy almost like if you had jello in your hand you know you could pretty much squish it through your fingers we knew it wasn't something we would normally see because we had never experienced it before we had some bells go off in our heads that said that basically this isn't right this isn't normal
0: yeah yeah you would think <laughs> hopefully. rain's not supposed to be squishy.
2: Uh, some of the people in the area noticed that either they, a friend or a family member, were also becoming sick and some even seriously ill. Some of the local livestock and some family pets also got sick. Some unfortunately also needed to be put down. Aww. Yikes. A local woman named Dottie Hearn stepped out of her house one day and noticed that she sorry, noticed that there was an excessive amount of this rain around her house. She did what any normal person would do and picked some up into her hand, rolled it around through her fingers as though to investigate it. Later that day, she was found lying on her bathroom floor. She was barely conscious, pale, had vision problems, vertigo, and had even been vomiting frequently. Dottie was admitted to the hospital. Her daughter, Sunny, who found her, also got sick. The sickness lasted on average four to eight weeks for those struck by it. Wow. Yeah, that's a long time. Sonny described it as, quote, "...it looked like hail laying on top of the firewood box and everywhere else. So I just went over and touched it, and it wasn't hail. It was a gelatinous-type material, no color at all. It was literally everywhere, in the grass, on the foliage, and on my truck window." Unquote. Now as word started to spread about this mysterious rain, people started to talk and wonder if the rain was some sort of toxic substance. The doctor that treated Dotty yeah, <laughs> start to think. Uh, the doctor that treated Dotty, Dr. David Little, diagnosed her with Many disease. It's a disorder of the inner ear. Even Dottie herself acknowledged that her condition and the rain may have been a coincidence. Dotty never had those symptoms again, though, and according to an interview with her daughter, Sonny, in 2015, one smart thing that Sonny did, though, was to collect several samples and she even brought in a sample of the rain to the doctor. She asked if the doctors could look at it for her. The doctors, being a little skeptical because, you know, they're doctors, only appeared to look at the rain under a microscope. Surprisingly to the doctor, they found a human white blood cell. The doctor, having initially been surprised by this, started with the theory that the rain was human waste jettisoned from a plane flying overhead. As more and more people started to investigate this, though, someone notified the FAA or Federal Aviation Administration, about this theory. The FAA spokesperson said that it's not likely because planes' waste is dyed blue with I chemicals. I was going to say, isn't it blue? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's dyed blue and not translucent. Sunny, now the only one trying to get to the bottom of this, apparently contacted the Washington State Health Laboratory and asked if she could send in her sample. She sent the sample into a microbiologist by the name of Dr. Mike McDowell. In an interview, Dr. McDowell said the sample was uniform. It had no structure that we could visibly see or with a microscope. I set it up on various microbiological micro- bio- uh, micro- media and attempted to isolate any bacteria. They did this to see what the type of bacteria would grow on it Would was. Surprisingly, two types did. The names of these are, oh boy, Pseudomonas florensins. And Enterobacter cloque. Sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but back to these in a minute. Uh, what do you think happened to the samples after this conclusion was made public?
0: They disappeared.
2: You guessed it. They went missing from the Washington <laughs> State <laughs> Health that Lab. it happened so
0: much. Uh, the sample. What squishy rain?
2: Yeah. Um, the sample wasn't just studied by Dr. McDowell, but it was sent to uh, several lab personnel. According to Sonny, quote, I was contacting as many agencies as possible to find assistance in identifying these substances. I took a sample to Dr. Mike Osweiler, who worked for the Department of Ecology. The department concluded it was organic material. They did not find a cell with a nucleus, which indicated to him that it was biological. The cell could have been bacteria, but it was never specified. A year later, Sonny was still on the warpath. This time she brought a sample that she had in her freezer to a private
1: research lab, Amtest Labs. I don't know if I would keep that in my freezer. Yeah, like next to the. Well, just the next to the pizza rolls. I was going like well, to say, do not think I would have rolls. the foresight to even yeah, do yeah.
0: that.
2: I'm gonna heat up some pizza rolls and accidentally heat up, <laughs> some, <laughs> heat up the, the. Why are my the, pizza rolls squishy? The gelatin rain. <laughs> At Amtest Labs, microbiologist Tim Davis studied the sample. He thought he saw the remains of a cell containing a nucleus. To this day, even with all the testing done, all the people who got sick, we have no definitive answer as to what it was. Was this what got people sick, or why did it even fall from the sky or anything? It hasn't happened again in Oakville. Sunny herself has kept some of the information strangely to herself. Over the years, I've held some information close to me, she said, with very little about it being released to the press. However, two years ago, she quoted as saying, some information was surfaced on the Internet, that led me to the conclusion that o- the Oakville incident was, in fact, a continuity exercise conducted by the military, unquote. The theory was that the U.S. military had an exercise that dropped bombs off the coast of Washington, that landed on schools of jellyfish, that caused parts of the jellyfish to be blown high into the air, <laughs> that evaporated into a rain cloud, and waited in there until it rained out, That sounds totally plausible. This (laughs) was actually the most popular theory for many years. The residents of Oakville even wanted there to be an annual jellyfish festival. (laughs) The only problem is that this theory is absolutely bonkers when you think about
0: it. Bonkers is exactly the word that I was going to say.
2: So actual theory one, was this some space junk, UFO-induced rain, star jelly? Star jelly, also called Pou- astral and they call
1: it powder Z or something. Yeah, something it's true. like some weird, like Latin yeah. name for what they like, like star jelly.
2: Yeah, I can't remember what it was. I think Are it's it powder,
1: it? powder Z or something like that. It's star jelly is a thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. They say that it's that, like, that was the name of my alternative band in star college. <laughs> star jelly. <laughs> <laughs> it's a gelatinous
2: substance sometimes found on grass and less commonly on the branches of trees, according to folklore. Uh, mm, so I'm like, Kurt, you're talking <laughs> like me. <laughs> According to folklore, it's deposited on the earth during meteor showers. It is described as translucent or grayish-white gelatin that tends to evaporate shortly after having, quote, fallen. Explanations have ranged from it being the remains of frogs, toads, or worms, or being the fruiting bodies of a jelly fungi or masses of amoeba called slime molds. Non-biological orange origins proposed for instances of the star jelly have included byproducts from industrial production or waste management.
1: I was reading, it's in the Straight Dope. It's in one of the Straight Dope books. They talk about this, and they said that there was a battery plant or a factory that made batteries near there, and they thought it was a truck taking out waste and that it was like a battery byproduct that bounced out of the truck. Onto this lady's lawn. Be
2: a hell of a, but it wasn't just her lawn. I mean, it says the police officer had it on his windshield. That's so weird. Uh, That's very weird. Um, reports of Star Jelly substances date back to the 14th century and have continued to the present. present. There have been stories for centuries about strange things falling from the sky, such as frogs, fish, crabs, and even meat.
1: Yeah, the Kentucky meat shower, yep. which sounds like something you have to look up on Urban Dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> so theory two, uh, one thing I said I would get back to was the bacteria
2: found in the samples. Remember the Pseudomonas fluorescens and Enterobacter cloacae? <laughs> yeah. I totally remember yep. that. Uh, so remember, they found what possibly could have been a white blood cell and biological cells with these two bacteria. So the two bacteria are specifically used for controlling plant disease. The Pseudomonas fluorescens is set to, sent, set to protect plant roots from parasitic fungi, and the Enterobacter clock A is also <laughs> used to treat or control plant diseases. So if these, <laughs> <no idea. Sure. laughs> if these bacteria that are used to control plant diseases in plants, it's probably not good for humans to digest as probably well. Probably not. <laughs> Both of these are known to cause issues with people who are already immunocompromised. Now even just touching the samples would be enough to get the bacteria inside of you based on the way that the skin absorbs this stuff. Attaching the bacteria to a thicker agent would also be enough to make them easier to survive if fallen from a great height like a plane or crop duster. Was a private company or the military using or testing new biological agents to protect the fauna near Oakville? if it was a government test that could also explain why some of the samples were mysteriously missing yeah that sounds mm-hmm. very much like why the samples mm-hmm.
1: would mysteriously be missing
2: yeah so that's what they're the main you know some people who are conspiracy minded think that it was you know something either the government did to control the population or make certain people sick to see what it would do as some kind of like uh something you
1: could spray over but a... it's it's not it's not it's not unknown for the government exactly. to do stuff sure. like that yeah. you yeah. know
2: and it was just that specific area Um, other people are saying that if it was like something to control the plants to make sure that they thrived uh, why would that be top secret yeah and the way they did it maybe wasn't the best way making it a little thicker makes it a little stronger and able to last longer yeah like last longer whereas if you would just spray it like from a
0: rain could just wash it away yeah
2: washed away Hmm. so that's the oak but but
1: somebody would have came out and said yeah, but why did people get so sick from it?
2: I don't know. There were people that, like I said, it lasted for weeks, if not months, hmm. and some. some I, the... I
1: I remember reading theories that it was like the byproduct of UFO like propulsion, yeah. hmm. but I don't know. I don't know if I. Buy I feel that. like we'd
0: have more reports of yeah. it
2: then. Yeah, it seems like she she made that Sunny the Dottie's daughter made some smart choices by saving some of it. It just seems like there's none of it left, and then it seems like she. You kind of hinted that it was a military. The, the whole
1: fact that it disappeared mm-hmm. mysteriously, yeah, it like the samples somehow <laughs> mysteriously disappeared, yeah. leads me to think that it was something governmental that they were
2: and having. That testing. white blood cell made people seem like it was some kind of like like a DNA or some kind yeah. of. Conflict. But th- that but was you only know that, that you, you kind of can go back mm-hmm. to like
1: chemtrails. People that think chemtrails yeah. are the government spraying. You know, sure. That, you know, you go to the whole new yeah. world order thing that they want to control the population, and that they're spraying stuff that is making people sterile, so that they can, you know, like there's all sorts of weird stuff about that.
2: Yeah, like you said, it's not unord—it's not unordinary for the government to do something like that. No, there's there's so up, many so.
1: so many sketchy tests that they did. You know, like on small communities and stuff, mm-hmm. but huh, the so, Oakville blobs, Oakville blobs, but that's. That's interesting. I don't know.
0: What do you oh. got, Kurt? Oh, you got to jump to mine? Yep. Little, oh, no. He sobered up.
2: A little nip. Ugh. Oh.
1: <laughs> it looks so enjoyable. <laughs> I did searches on like paranormal stuff for weird stories that happened around Christmas, and this showed up on one of them. I, f- I though, saw one too. Even and I was though there's like, a Ooh. very, very minor christmas connection to this yeah but i saw funny, one about
0: spontaneous combustion and i was yes. like oh that might be a good one what's but it was really that, short like,
1: when i went on like was searching for this i went on reddit and like people from my generation like somebody said we must all have had the same ghost book because all of us remember this picture from that ghost yeah, book
0: i think i have a like book we with said it that there it. were
1: a couple pictures that we all remember it was this one it was the one of the the tulip staircase where there's like a phantom hand coming onto mm-hmm. the staircase, and there's the picture of from the ship out the window where it said like two captains like previously died hmm. and when somebody took a picture out this window on the ship you can see what looks like their faces looking in hmm. and we said like back in the 70s we all must have had this same book because we all remember this but i have this a one's... sightings book that has yes. the one you're talking
0: well, I about this... in it. i
2: thought you were gonna say that one picture of like it's like a stone sarcophagus with like a monk standing Oh that's
1: but one that, I, one that one looks so fake I know that's the that one, I one you were going with That one looks I know which one you're talking yeah. about yeah I know exactly which one you're talking about cuz that's always in there too yep. but that looks But this showed up and I'm like, I've. this was one of the pictures that actually, like one of the first ghost photographs that I can remember seeing as a kid, Mm -hmm. you know, and I was always into the paranormal as a kid because of stuff that happened in our house and all that. So I was always super into that. And when I saw there was a connection with Christmas, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this one. So I'm going to be talking about, it's like a famous ghost picture. It is the Brown Lady of Rainham Hall. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about Raynham Hall. This comes from a couple different sources, mainly Wikipedia, a December 18th, 2018 article on the lineup.com called, quote, ghost on the staircase, the brown lady of Raynham Hall an article on the little website called Raynham Hall and an article on the countryside books website from the UK called the brown lady of Raynham Hall Norfolk. So, Raynham Hall is a country, ho- a country. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> this,
0: is, this is starting with a bank. Take start, another sip. There, no more sips. No more sips. <laughs> Raynham Hall
1: is a country house in Norfolk, England. For nearly 400 years, it has been the seat of the Townsend family.
0: Four hundred years. I know that's, that's crazy. crazy.
1: Wow. After a false start in 1619 and the accumulation on site of a large quantity of Kettenstone stone in 1621, it was officially rebegun, it was officially rebegun to be built in 1622. And by the time of Sir Roger Townsend's death in 1637, wow, no more whiskey during our uh, taste tests.
0: We'll in decide at the end of the episode.
1: It was substantially uh, <laughs> substantially complete although apparently some rooms had not been fitted out. When the architect Sir Roger Pratt saw it a few years after Townsend's death, he recalled later, quote, Not long after it was built, I was some while in it, while it had no ornament at all. There was somewhat in it divine the symmetry of proportions of length, height, and breadth, which was indeed harmonious harmonious to the rational soul. Yikes. It talks like that anymore. Yeah. He Ray- sounds like Yoda. <laughs> Raynham was built in an entirely new style, abandoning tradition and following the Italian form and plan. Except for its hipped roof and Dutch gables, Raynham could easily be mistaken for a house built nearly a century later. The estate covers 7,000 acres and occupies the first seven miles of the Wensum River. It is one of the oldest buildings in the area, and it is heavily, in, heavily inspired by European architecture. It has been home to the Townsend family for more than 400 years. The hall's most famous resident was Charles Townsend, the second Viscount Townsend who lived from 1674 to 1738. Charles was an English Whig statesman, and it's not Whig hair thing, it's W-H-I-G, which is a political party, was an English Whig statesman. He served for a decade as Secretary of State for the Northern Department from 1714 to 1717 and again from 1721 to 1730. He directed British foreign policy in close collaboration with his brother in law, who was Prime Minister Robert Walpole. He was often known as quote, Turnip Townsend because of his strong interest in farming turnips and his role in the British Agricultural Revolution. He was once the leader in the House of Lords. He is also said to have had a great temper. I love Turnip Townsend. In 1713... Such a burn. Such a burn. In (laughs) 1713, Charles married Robert Walpole's prettiest sister. Like, (laughs) no, that's like, does he have ugliest sisters? In 1713, Charles married Robert Walpole's prettiest sister, Dorothy. She was his second wife and is reputed in the gossip of the time to have been previously the mistress of Lord Thomas Wharton, a man of great charm and political ability, but also notorious for his debauched lifestyle. He was once described as someone, quote, whose character was so infamous and his lady's complacent subserviency so notorious that no young woman could be 4 and 20 hours under his roof with safety to her reputation. Dang. I want that on He was a player. He was, he was a straight-up player, and apparently at some point Dorothy was his mistress. Well, she was the prettiest sister. She was the yeah. prettiest sister. <laughs> so that's so horrible to be called that. No one knows exactly what happened, but the story says that when Townsend discovered that his wife had committed adultery with Lord Wharton, he punished her by locking her in her room at the family home, Raynham Hall, telling everyone that she had died and even holding a mock funeral. There doesn't seem to be any truth in the stories about the mock funeral, but in reality it's believed that Dorothy roamed the halls of Raynham Hall more or less a prisoner, suffering until her death from smallpox in seventeen twenty six. Yikes. From a december eighteenth, two thousand article two thousand from a december eighteenth, twenty eighteen article on the lineup called quote, Ghost on the Staircase, the Brown Lady of Raynham Hall, the article says quote. The first ghostly sighting occurred during a Christmas celebration at Raynham in 1835. A guest named Colonel Loftus claimed to have seen a lady wandering the halls in a brown dress. Another guest named Hawkins corroborated the sighting, adding that when he had approached her in the hall, she turned to him with a glowing face, but where her eyes should have been, there were only empty sockets. Hmm. Don't ever want to see that. Mm-mm. Some members of the staff were so terrified of this brown lady that they allegedly fled the house. A year later, Captain Frederick Marriott, a friend of Charles Dickens, asked to stay at Raynham Hall to disprove the rumors of its haunting. He later told his daughter Florence of his encounter with a brown lady, saying that he had chased her down the hall revolver in hand. Florence remembered her father's experience in vivid detail, saying, quote, he took possession of the room in which the portrait of the apparition hung and in which she had often been seen and slept each night with a loaded revolver under his pillow. For two days, however, he saw nothing, and the third was to be the limit of his stay.
0: Was he thinking it was an actual person?
1: I don't know. I don't know if he thought you could shoot ghosts for. with a yeah. revolver. I don't know.
0: What's that going to do?
1: On the third night, however, two young men, who were nephews of the baronet, Knocked at his door as he was undressing to go to bed and asked him to step over to their room, which was at the other end of the corridor, and give them his opinion on the new gun that had just arrived from London. My father, he, apparently big in the, in the big guns, my father was in his shirt and trousers, but as the hour was late and everybody had retired to rest except them, he prepared to accompany them as he was. As they were leaving the room, he caught up his revolver, quote, in case you meet the brown lady, he said laughing. When the inspection of the gun was over, the young men in the same spirit declared that they would accompany my father back again, quote, in case you meet the brown lady. They repeated laughing also. The three gentlemen therefore returned in company. The corridor was long and dark, for the lights had been extinguished, but as they reached the middle of it, they saw the glimmer of a lamp coming towards them from the other end. Quote, "'It's one of the ladies going to visit the nurseries,' whispered the young Townsends to my father. "'Now the bedroom doors in that corridor faced each other, "'and each room had a double door with a space between, "'as is the case in many old-fashioned houses.' My father, as I have said, was in shirt and trousers only, and his native modesty made him feel uncomfortable. So he slipped within one of the outer doors. His friends following his example.
0: Aren't trousers just pants?
1: Yeah, but (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) They like
0: long johns. In these days,
1: he'd be walking in his boxers and like a
0: people go to shopping in their pajamas. Exactly.
1: Black socks. Yeah. (laughs) So he slipped within one of the outer doors. His friends following his example in order to conceal himself until the lady should have passed by. I have heard him describe how he watched her approaching nearer and nearer through the crack of the door until, as she was close enough for him to distinguish the colors and styles of her costume, he recognized the figure as the facsimile of the portrait of the brown lady. He had his finger on the trigger of his revolver and was about to demand it to stop and give the reason for its presence there. When the figure halted of its own accord before the door behind which he stood, and holding the lighted lamp she carried to her features, grinned in a malicious and diabolical manner at him. This act so infuriated my father, who was anything but lamb-like in disposition, that he sprang into the corridor with a bound and discharged a revolver right in her face.
4: Jeez. <laughs> lamb-like okay. in disposition.
0: I'm
1: very lamb-like in disposition. <laughs>
0: Until I eat something spicy.
1: Until I eat something spicy, then I get offended. <laughs> the figure instantly disappeared. The figure at which, for several minutes, three men had been looking together— and the bullet passed through the outer door of the room on the opposite side of the corridor and lodged into a panel on the inner door. My father never attempted again to interfere with the brown lady of Raynham. So yeah, he shot her right in the face and nothing. nothing. Lady Townsend later reported that the brown lady was next seen in 1926 when her son and his friend claimed to have seen the...
0: So, when was the last time she was seen? Like, what is the stretch of time we're like talking about? The 1800s, I think. Wow.
1: It's, it That's was quite a long a time Yeah, gap. Lady Townsend reported that the brown lady was next seen in 1926 when her son and his friend claimed to have seen the ghost on the staircase, identifying the ghostly figure with the portrait of Lady Dorothy Walpole, which then hung in the haunted room. It's also said that future King George IV stayed there and woke up to a figure of a woman standing by his bed, and he reportedly said, quote, I will not pass another hour in this accursed house. The countryside, not wrong. I mean, I no, don't blame him. the Countryside him. <laughs> Books website says, quote, In the 1920s, Sir Henry Birkin sat up one night hoping to encounter the brown lady, but although he waited in vain, he did not see anything, but his dog showed signs of acute terror in the small hours. Other specters said to be at Raynham Hall include two ghostly children and a phantom cocker spaniel whose paws patter on the staircase, although he is Aww. not seen. I would love a ghost That's cocker true. spaniel. We don't hear that too often. No, <laughs> I would definitely love a ghost a cocker phantom spaniel. A phantom cocker spaniel. Yep. Although he is not seen, and the charming, quote, Red Cavalier. This is said to be the Duke of Monmouth, Charles II's ill-fated son, who once stayed at Raynham Hall with his royal father. He haunts the bedroom he once used, now known as the Monmouth Room, and people tell the story of a lovely debutante of the year who insisted on sleeping there, hoping for a visit from this notorious ghostly charmer. But despite the Duke's well known eye for a pretty woman, she was unlucky. The next occupant of the room a few days later was said to be quote, a spinster of uncertain age. Who, according to her hostess, was quote, sadly destined to live a drab life devoid of romance.
0: She's probably thirty. <laughs> yeah. If you weren't married by like twenty, you were a spinster. Pretty sure I've
1: been I've been described as yes. sadly destined to live a drab <laughs> life devoid of romance. However, that spinster is said to have woken one night to find the dashing red cavalier standing at the end of her bed, quote, smiling in a most encouraging manner.
4: Yeah.
1: <laughs> as he went to give her a charming courtly bow. And then fa- bow and then faded slowly away through the wall, leaving her with a cherished memory of her glamorous visitor. Dang. So some, some hanky-panky going on there. <laughs> so there are apparently, supposedly quite a few ghosts there, but most people know the haunting because of what?
0: The staircase photo. The
1: famous photo. On September 19th, 1936, Captain Hubert C. Provand, a London-based photographer working for Country Life magazine, and his assistant, Indre Shura, were taking photographs of Raynham Hall for an article. They claimed that they had already taken a photograph of the hall's main staircase and were setting up to take a second photograph when Shura saw, quote, a vapory form, gradually assuming the appearance of a... The appearance? Ugh. No more whiskey a vapory form gradually assuming the appearance of a woman, slowly moving down the stairway towards them. Under Shira's direction, Provan quickly took the cap off the lens while Shira pressed the trigger to activate the camera's flash. Later, when the negative was developed, the famous image of the brown lady of Raynham Hall was revealed. The account of Proven and Shira's ghostly experience at Raynham Hall was published in Country Life magazine on December 26, 1936, along with the photograph of the brown lady, and it was published again in the January 4, 1937 issue of Life magazine, after which the story, along with the photo, caused a sensation. So that's like that era going viral was yeah. this ghostly mm-hmm. photograph. Shortly thereafter, the noted paranormal investigator Harry Price... Interviewed Proven and Shira and reported, quote, I will say at once that I was impressed. I was told a perfectly simple story. Mr. Shira saw the apparition descending the stairs at the precise moment when Colonel Proven's head was under the black cloth. And you got to think about the old school photograph when one person had their head under the black cloth. A shout, and then the cap was off and the flashbulb fired with the results which we now see. I could not shake their story, and I had no reason to disbelieve them. Only collusion between the two men would account for if the ghost is a fake. The negative is entirely innocent of any faking. Hmm. But a lot of people disagree. From Wikipedia, Some critics have claimed that Shira faked the image by putting grease or a similar substance on the lens in the shape of a figure or moved down the stairs himself during an exposure. Others claim that the image is an accidental double exposure or that light somehow got into the camera. And we've actually mentioned this guy. Noted skeptic Joe Nickel has written that a detailed examination of the photograph shows evidence of a double exposure. John Fairley and Simon Welfare wrote, quote, There is a pale line above each stair tread indicating that one picture has been mm. superimposed, superimposed over the other. A patch of reflected light at the top of the right-hand banister appears twice.
0: I need to look at the picture you sent. Yeah, me. I'm
1: going to post this is the teaser picture, but I'm also going to post it in the group when we when we release this episode. The magician John Booth wrote that the photograph could easily be duplicated by natural methods. Booth had the magician Ron Wilson cover himself in a bedsheet and descend the grand staircase at the Magic Castle in Hollywood. The faked ghostly image looked very similar to the Raynham Hall photograph. In 1937, the Society for Psychical Research concluded that the image happened because the camera had been shaken during a six-second exposure, which may have caused light to be leaked onto the photographic plate.
0: I feel like the... But
1: now, the photo. before I, I go... Like wait, the- wait, wait. Before I go, go into it, and this is the one that kind of sealed the deal for me, and I can't believe that I never really noticed this before... But other critics point out that the image of the lady very closely resembles that of a standard Virgin Mary statue, as would be found in any Catholic church. The light patch covering the bottom one-third of the image resembling an inverted Mm V-shape as the outer garment above it drapes down on either side at an angle. Also, the head is covered and the hands appear to be together in prayer— and the square or rectangle pedestal on which she stands also seems clearly visible. This strongly suggests that the photo is a simple superimposition of the Madonna statue onto an empty staircase. Sure. And now that I see it, I can totally see you the. You can't like, unsee it. No, I can t- totally see a Virgin Mary <laughs> yeah. statue being.
0: If it were color, it would, the it looks, would it be looks blue. It looks Like I never noticed it before, but it looks
1: yeah. 100% like a Virgin Mary statue.
0: I was going to say the white. Strips on. I just assumed that was a light reflecting so off I. of the top so of the I. stairs. I mean,
1: I always thought that was light reflecting. God. But to me, what kills it is that it looks like a Virgin really Mary does. statue, like the hands being held in prayer. Yeah. yeah, you'd have to be a photographer.
2: Like I don't know enough about photography. Me either. From
1: no, the early nineteen no. twenty. or, or even now. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if you're gonna if you're gonna fake it and superimpose something, you're gonna do the Virgin Mary, and it looks so much now like a yeah. typical Virgin Mary statue totally. that now I can't not see it.
2: Right. Wouldn't they have known that also? In the 30s that's typical
1: like fakery well no it
2: was like by looking at the photo they would see the Virgin Mary like Yeah. But I don't know why they nobody so, thought about that back I then. I don't know, but
1: now I kinda of went from believing the photo to now thinking it's kind of fake.
0: When was the spiritualism movement? Wasn't that the twenties? That was like in 30s? the twenties.
1: I want to say that it was in the twenties.
0: So maybe people were just really wanted to believe.
1: But if these two photographers wanted to fake a picture in order to increase sales of mm-hmm. the country life magazine, mm. like now when I see it, all I can see is this the typical statue of the Virgin yeah. Mary with the the hands praying. So now I don't 100% think it's legit anymore. So I don't know. What do you guys think? Do you think it's a, a legit ghost photograph? Corey, Corey's Corey. not a I, believer. Corey's not, not a believer in yeah, the first he's not
0: place. General. I'm not techie enough to know what could have been faked. And yeah. the fact that they threw other
2: ghosts in there, like the cute little ghost dog and <laughs> <the little> cocker <laughs> spaniel. If it was the only ghost that went through and had reports and then this was taken okay but having hindsight now to look at all the things and like i said not knowing enough about photography back then i have to assume everything is faked yeah so you know there's the image of the uh the car the black with the person in the the back with the person that apparently was a superimposition.
1: but because you can see like part of the collar in that picture actually like goes over the the headrest of the seat before mm. it, but I feel like that's a fake picture too. Yeah.
2: So if you can do it
1: then, if you can do
2: it in the thirties.
1: Yeah. I I I went into this believing this picture and now I question its legitimacy. I think it's I think it's a faked photo. I really do. But it's like one of the most popular mm-hmm. ghost photographs. But it looks so much like a standard Virgin Mary yeah, statue that I can't not see it. And I feel like these two did that maybe to increase sales of the magazine i don't know but on the other hand maybe i think the place might actually legitimately be haunted because people have experienced things there Mm -hmm. but as far as the photo itself i don't know november 22nd 2023 article on the little house of horrors website says quote medical documents found in the 1960s claimed quite the opposite of dorothy's supposed miserable life according to the paper she lived a happy and fulfilling life and she was much loved Mm -hmm. So people think that her ghost was there because she was pris- imprisoned there that and all this true. stuff. And it turns out that that maybe wasn't really true. Hmm. During the Second World War, the British military requisitioned Raynham Hall with soldiers living side by side with the Townsend family until the war ended. The bullet holes from soldiers can still be seen in the top floors of the mansion. Raynham Hall remains to this day in the hands of the Townsend family. The current Marquis or Marquess is married and has two children. Raynham hall is not open to the public occasionally there are private tours but remember that Raynham hall is still a private home hmm. and it's still in the townsend crazy family, that which it's is crazy still in the same family yeah. wow but so this kind of ruined the photograph mm. for me because the more i looked into this the more it's kind mm-hmm. of fakey so what do you guys think Fa- you guys think fake fake photograph
0: i'm yeah. i lean yeah. towards that yeah. for sure so that's I what you i got. never really know anything that is my real, brown but...
1: lady of Raynham hall so there you go.
0: Way to poo-poo on one of the greatest I know. I hate that I go into evidence. some of this stuff thinking and <laughs> believing
1: it, and it's like, oh, maybe that's not. Because now when I look at it, all I can see is mm-hmm. the standard Virgin Mary statue, yep. which, you know, 100%. I agree. So there you go. There's my story. Uh, Christmas songs. Oh, yeah. Christmas songs. Do you guys songs. have a Christmas song? I do. I have one. I do. I do, too. Should I go first? Yes. So... I don't know if you guys will get it from just the YouTube comments, but I'm just going to do the. I love this. I love. I don't have a whole lot of Christmas. I think we're going to have enough time that we can do our Christmas memories. Uh, but I don't have a whole. Like, you guys know I'm not a Christmassy person. Mm-hmm. I don't have a whole lot of Christmas traditions, but where this song comes from is one of my Christmas traditions. So some of the YouTube comments for this, a user says, quote, I love this soundtrack. It's like a cup of hot cocoa on a cold winter's day. Such beautiful, timeless music. Somebody else writes, quote, For some reason I can imagine the song being played at a small jazz bar on a cold snowy night during Christmas Eve in New York City. Somebody else writes, quote, walk outside when it's snowing and listen to this song. It'll hit you in a completely different way. Think of each note played on the piano as its own individual snowflake. It will make your brain explode with happiness. Dang. Somebody else writes, quote, This is hands down my favorite song to listen to during the holidays. And somebody else writes, quote, This is me and my grandma's favorite song from Peanuts. Oh, you guys probably don't know this song.
0: It's not Oh Christmas Tree? <laughs> no. It is
1: the song Skating oh, by yes. the Vince Garaldi Trio. It's an instrumental. It's an instrumental. I don't know the name, but I'll know. It's so good. Yeah, the piano Even if you think you don't know it, you once do. you hear it, you'll be like, you I totally know, know that song. Like I am not a Christmas person, but the, the Peanuts, the peanuts Christmas, Christmas, oh my God, it is so, so good. good.
0: It's so nostalgic. It
1: is so nostalgic. And I don't know if it's because it's for people our age that probably. grew up with the Peanuts Christmas special, mm-hmm. but my song is this is called skating and it's by the Vince Guaraldi I love the Vince Guaraldi trios like yes I love their Chris, their peanuts jazzy music Yes, and it is skating by it's the our Vince It's our childhood yes. in soundtrack for Yes form, it is skating sure. by the Vince Guaraldi Trio Awesome Corey?
2: uh you know there's only so many Christmas ones so I was hoping nobody was going to take this one uh this one was never an issue now apparently you can't play it
0: Oh, I know what song you're talking about, and I love it. Baby, it's cold outside. Yeah, (laughs) I love it.
2: There's talk about it being. Yeah. Talk about.
0: Consent. Yeah. So
2: I I don't. I when I listen to a song, it's not the first thing that I, I. I'm a sucker for like either. Maybe it's not so much call and response type songs. But, yeah, with like two different, like the two different, yeah, the two different voices. Yeah. Yep. yep. And my, the favorite one I like, and I know people are going to say it's blasphemous, but I like the Indina Menzel and Michael Buble one. I don't, know if, I've one ever, I don't know if I've ever actually heard that one. It seems to be one of their more popular ones Leon
0: um, Redbone and Zoe Deschanel from the Elf soundtrack. Their yeah, version is amazing.
2: Um, a lot of people like the, uh, if I can find it now. Say it's the original, but
1: I, I'm, I'm trying to think who was in like the original one. Mm. I mean, I I get that some stuff is I get it, is, but it the, never like, would have woke crossed thing my that mind. Some stuff is
0: it never would have crossed my mind that you know, that song I, was like. I complained like...
1: about this coming down with Corey that there's a wrestler named Ric Flair. Oh yeah, that I love. Like he's always been like a a, a bad guy, and he just. He was recently, like he did an interview in the middle of the ring where he said any 18 to 20-year-old girls in the audience meet me in my hotel room Mm -hmm. and they're going to edit that out and it's turned into a big thing. I'm like, dude, that's like his shtick. That's his gimmick. So I get get some of it, but some of it is overkill.
2: Mm -hmm. It's like anybody that gets popular now, then they
1: go back over
2: their Their Twitter posts. I I feel
1: like even if you go back over some of our old episodes, there's things we say that these days would be... Be Frowned
0: upon. Frowned upon. Yeah.
1: You know, Baby, It's Cold Outside is just a classic. Yeah. it's.
0: Yeah. I guess
2: it's from 1944, a song written wow. by F- Frank Losser.
0: I didn't know it was that old. I didn't know
2: it was that old either. Yep. Baby, It's Cold Outside is an Academy Award-winning popular song written by Frank Losser in 1944, which gained wide recognition in 1949 when it was performed in the film Neptune's Neptune's Daughter. Perry Como has covered it. Uh, yep. Tom Jones. Yep. Uh, Dean Martin and Marilyn Maxwell, um, but yeah, it's that's wh- whenever it comes on, I have to listen cool. to it. It's a so. good one.
0: Perry Como was the soundtrack of my childhood Christmases. Yeah. Like I love Perry Como. I think we've had this. Is that your w- choice? Is that- no, we've done this before, and I used a Perry Como okay. song, so I'm like, okay, I won't do Perry Como this time. Mine is gonna be the classic Nat King Cole Christmas song. Yeah, just I totally get sing that. Yeah, on I an totally open fire. that. Yep. His voice is just like per- like butter. <laughs> butter. <laughs> yep. I mean, I cannot hear that song without just like you feel like you're being embraced in a warm Christmas hug. I don't know. Cool. It is quintessential. Christmas music. Cool. I was
2: thinking about doing Little Drummer Boy. By, I, I, can't, yeah.
0: I figured, I was thinking you were going to. I was
1: going by, to, but it's... A hair metal band from the pa- 80s did a version yeah, of, yeah. of Little Drummer Boy, and that's yeah. really good. Cool. You really? and I, that was always yeah. one of our Christmas songs. It was so super hard
0: to find. I'm glad nobody said time. Mariah Carey. <laughs>
1: <laughs> because, of our, because we have a little time, I'm going to do the longer question. Okay. Uh, somebody sure. wrote, hey guys, with the, year, the end of the year rapidly approaching, what is one memory from this year you're going to take with you. You
0: even gave me a heads up and I didn't even think about it. Do you want me
1: to do mine? Mine is yeah, going to be a little bit first. longer. Okay, go So, uh, this year sucked. I mean, yeah, you know, Narnia. Uh, did get teary? No, you know, like stuff, oh, like no I miss the school. I miss the yeah. kids. I miss Narnia. Uh, so it was just kind of a train wreck of a year. But my moment, and this is it's it's weird because it's like a sweet little moment, but I went to the the you know when i worked at washington i went to the uh, like my one and only band concert i went to because they're usually at like 6 30 or 7 and you know me you know how i roll uh so i went to it and uh my friend carly that listens to the podcast carly and her husband arnie were there i think i might have told you about this they were there and they saw me like walking in and they called me over to them so I went down and sat with them, and because their son was in the band, and it was really good. They did the Office, the theme from the Office, oh, really? and they did uh, Sweet Caroline. Oh, I think. that's fun! So it was really good. And after sixth grade was done, Carly and Arnie left, and you know, like their son went with them. So I stayed around to watch seventh and eighth grade. And after Carly and Arnie left, like two seventh grade girls that I knew saw me sitting there and they came down and asked me to come sit with them which is so like what students do that with a teacher yeah so it was yeah. super cute so i went and sat with the two girls and then a third girl one of their friends that i knew joined us so the four of us sat there and we watched like the rest of the band stuff and uh after it was done you know like i said my goodbyes to them hugged them and stuff and they left and I went to say goodbye to somebody else, and I don't remember who it was, but you know, like the three girls I was with, they had left. and I went to say goodbye to somebody else. and then I walked out to leave. And my car was parked out on the road. and on the opposite side of the school, it was the sunset, and it mm. was just like like a, like just like one of the prettiest sunsets. It was red and orange, and it was super pretty. And walking to my car, the area behind the school, there's the tennis courts, and then there's the school, and there's like a little grass field or a little grass area there. So I walk by, and I see the three girls are walking to the opposite side of the school into the sunset, and they were lined up next to each other, and they had their arms around each other. I'm getting teary.
0: <laughs> and it that was... whiskey probably doesn't <laughs> help.
1: And it was like, it was literally like something from the end of a movie, you know, where they were walking out into the sunset. Or I don't, I don't know <laughs> And uh, I was going to take a picture of it because it was just like perfect. And I didn't. Because, uh, let's sip whiskey. Oh my God. Because I feel like some moments should just be yeah. moments in time.
0: Yeah.
2: Right, and we, we take your drink. Like, <laughs> I mean, I, we have that picture. I don't have it on my phone, but that picture of our dad when he was holding hands with Asher when he was a baby. And yes. it's a row of trees it's, and a path. Yeah, it's a perfect picture. And we're like 50 feet back. And it's an older gentleman from behind holding hands with maybe a one-year-old, two-year-old. Mm-hmm. And they're walking down a lane. With just rows of trees on each side. It's I think Nicole transferred it to black and white. And it's it's so far away, but not far enough away where you can't tell who they are. No, it's, it's just it's like literally a perfect picture. Yeah. yeah. And that's one of those pictures that I'm you get emotionally yeah, attached to it. You know,
1: that's how I feel about like the three of them were walking arms around each other into the sunset. And I was gonna take like I said a picture and then I'm like, No, some moments should just be moments in time. And I th- You know, like, I remember feeling, seeing that, like, a feeling like I haven't had since I was late teens, early 20s, where I felt like life was good and I still had life, so much stuff ahead of me. And, uh, so that's my moment. Well, geez. (laughs)
0: How do I follow that? That's pretty good. Um... I think my favorite memory from this year is for Jim and my uh, 16th wedding anniversary. We went to like the Driftless area, which is like southwest. Well, that's a large area. It's actually stunning. It is just the most beautiful area. Um, we rented a little um, an Airbnb. It was actually a really old school house that they converted to like a Airbnb. It was really cool. But we went to House on the Rock. And I hadn't been there since I was a kid. I've always
1: wanted to go there. It I've is, never been there. I think there. we
0: should go there and do an episode on it because <laughs> it's just really bizarre. Um, there were things that I remembered as a kid. Well, I was when I say a kid, I was probably in my early teens maybe. My whole family went. And uh, my grandparents too. And it was just like so strange to see something you hadn't seen in probably 35 years and what I remember about it and how accurate my memory was, and how inaccurate that, my memory but no, was. I know, but that's
1: like a cool feeling. Yeah. You know?
0: Yeah. There was something really eerie about being, because it's a, if you don't know what House on the Rock is, you have to look it up. It is this just really bizarre collection <laughs> that this everything. very eccentric man put together throughout his life. And it, it's like this museum that takes like three hours to walk through. And it is just the wildest things that you can think of dollhouse collections, like these strange m- music machines that are some are just small little like little stands. One is like an entire room of mannequins playing instruments. like, <laughs> like this nightmare. place it is it, is, like it could be sort of the thing of nightmares, but because I think I had been there in, as a kid and had such good memories of it, yeah. going back was very nostalgic yeah. for me, and Jim had never been there before, or I don't think he had been there before but i I still think about that going back again, and I want to go back, but see, again
1: like now. the thing with my with the girls walking with their arms around each other into the sunset was almost a nostalgia thing, sure, but it was more you remember for, that feeling, yeah, like
0: of being a carefree kid, yeah, and like, like just having your friends and. Not having to adult. No,
1: and I, I need that <laughs> to remind me that as much as the world sucks these days, mm-hmm. there's still good things in it. So just yeah. like the image of them walking into the sunset. So it was like a mixture of a nostalgia thing, but I could totally get that. Like, like there's a, uh, in one of our old photo albums that, you know, we have a, like a postcard of a motel we stayed at when we were kids in Michigan City and I look it up on Google Earth, and that motel is still there. And I have a like a weird memory of that motel, even though we only stayed there once. And it's like part of me really wants to go back to Michigan City and see that area Staying for that in a motel nostalgic... as a kid
0: was like a big deal,
1: though. It was. Oh. It was. You just
0: those things stick with you. It's you weird, know because those we went down with our dad to
1: Chicago and and just miscellaneous places. But I would love like the feeling of nostalgia of mm-hmm. going back to a place that you haven't been to since you were a kid. Yeah is, like, overwhelming and both good and sad kind of at the same time, Mm -hmm. you know. We
0: should definitely do a trip to House on the Rock, I definitely Mm -hmm. would love
1: to, to to just, like, take video that we could put in a a podcast. It's really cool. Jorge?
2: I'm not going to end it on a bad note either. I mean, I was going to say, you know, with Grayson being diagnosed with Crohn's (sighs) Mm -hmm. and how bad she was for a couple days there, but we also bought a camper. Yeah. And I was never a camper guy. I thought that's not our cup of tea um so i remember one night it was like maybe our second time camping and i was kind of against buying it i was kind of against going because i didn't think we would really be a camping type of family but just sitting there you know we were sitting on some uh, pool chairs and we had a drink and the kids were playing in the pool and just kind of sitting back and being like, you know, we should have done this years ago. Yeah. <laughs> so thinking You are that, now camper people. <laughs> yeah, thinking that we wouldn't be camper people. And although the kids fight <laughs> and never want to agree to do the same thing. And <laughs> it was nice to see them, you know, playing with each other and sitting in the pool. And realizing that yeah, my getaways were just not being at work. Yeah. Not realizing mm-hmm. that getaways are actual getaways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's a pain to hook up the camper and it's a pain to figure out what you're going to eat what you're going to make But it's got to be so
1: nice to just get out and disconnect from yeah and that's
2: that's basically the memory of our buying a camper and being the year to start camping and how beneficial it is to be able to get out and see new stuff so
1: mine was originally going to be my my uh, incident at the homecoming parade but i'm going to save that for a different time Mm okay Cause that one I would get super teary with too. Yep.
0: Maybe when you're not whiskeyed up. But,
1: <laughs> but yeah, like I had, a, it was hard to pick one because, like I said, it was a weird year. But like I, that that moment of seeing them just reminded me that the world doesn't just suck. Mm-hmm. You know, there's good stuff. There's still innocence. It's it still sucks, but yeah, but there's still good stuff. Totally. So wow, that's what we got. Anything else? It's not Christmas
0: unless someone's crying. <laughs> oh, I just get teary at that stuff. Like, yeah, you're a sentimental. I am old guy. Am. You're not that old.
1: Like I miss the feeling of like when I was a teenager you're, or totally. early twenties, thinking that you still had life ahead of you. Where mm-hmm. now I feel like, oh, I'm one foot in the grave. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so it just sucks. It Goes
0: by so fast. It's crazy.
1: But that's what we got. So sorry to get all teary, but <laughs> man, like it was just like you could not have planned that any better and it's mm-hmm. something that they don't probably don't even remember it was mm, just like a right. dumb little yeah. moment for them yeah, totally but for me it's like god that was just so perfect you know friendship and all that so that's what we got any other christmas stuff that we need to cover i don't think so nothing for me nope. nothing else do you have any, have any fun christmas plans
0: my mom is coming the night of the 14th and i am taking the 15th off it's a thursday into friday and we're gonna do our cookies and candy that we do every nice. year so go driving around looking at christmas lights listening to christmas music and probably watch a christmas movie
1: <laughs> i watch a mystery science theater episode called santa claus it's like this really bad movie but they that's all like, really that's, bad. <laughs> that's, that's, that's like one of my christmas traditions is to watch mystery science theater 3000 santa claus
2: Yeah, I think, I mean, I I know we're still working out dates where we can get everybody available, but we always have a night where we either make cookies or dip pretzel rods into, like, chocolate and and decorate them. And then we always have to watch... National Lampoon's Christmas
1: yes. Vacation.
0: You might watch that tonight, I, actually. I saw that
1: in a the theater when it came out, and really? I never thought that that would have become a Christmas tradition. So good. It is. I mean, that and Die Hard. You know, like those are. I've
0: never a lot seen of, Die Hard. Yeah. You never seen I Die know. Hard? No, I should watch that this yeah. year.
1: Overbreak. Watch it. Uh,
0: yeah, Overbreak. I
2: should. Yeah, and we it's Elf, and then yes. those are the only staples that we, we have to watch, I think, at some point. And then yeah. We'll... Then I always
1: come over by you guys for yeah. Christmas meal, but because I'm trained on a machine at work now. Even though we're shut down, the week between Christmas and New Year's, I'm mandated two days I got to go in. Oh, but Yeah. But also it's pay. So mm-hmm,
2: true. as long as it doesn't- Do you infl-
0: get paid holidays? Yes. That's good.
1: Yeah.
2: I think our Christmas will be butter chicken with some dumplings. Oh, and- your butter chicken. <gasps> it's yum. so good.
1: So good. So I think that's it yeah. for this Christmas episode from- the Strange Sessions. Merry Christmas. I almost said side sessions. Uh, from The Strange <laughs> Sessions.
0: That's a little like a side session.
1: Again, uh, listen after the end music, and you will hear a 20-minute episode that Barry and I did back in 2007, which seems so long ago. Oh, my God. It's it, The recorder's not the best. I recorded in my old computer room at the apartment. But it's super interesting to listen to, and you're going to hear more of Barry, I think, when we do our investigation, because she's going to be there for it. So I think that is it. Our deets, you can email us at the strange sessions at gmail.com. We are on Twitter at strange. Oh, no, forget the Twitter or forget that whole accent. <laughs> I got to get rid of that. We are on Instagram at the strange sessions. You can send postcards and snail mail to the strange sessions, PO Box 434, Manitowoc, Wisconsin, 54221 0434. You can call our lonely phone line on Christmas if you would like, 920 443 9602. And if you have a listener story, you can send it to the strange session stories at gmail.com. And I think that is it. So I forget the camera was Merry on. Christmas, everybody. So from Corey, thank you for joining us for this Christmas episode. Thanks for having me. Sleigh ride back home to Manitowoc now with a drunk. With a drunk. Yeah, I'm not driving <laughs> the sleigh. I am not driving the sleigh. So from Corey, Krista, and I, until next time, Merry Christmas. <laughs> Krista jumped in a little early. Merry Christmas and stay, stay strange. strange.
3: This is Barry from Heartland Paranormal Investigations.
1: And this is Kurt from HPI. And this is our attempt at a podcast.
3: We're a paranormal investigation group based in southern Wisconsin. We've been together for about a year?
1: About a year. Yep. We've known each other a long, longer, longer than, than that. that.
3: And I've been researching the paranormal informally for about the last 15 years. I started as an urban legend researcher and kind of a thrill seeker as a kid. And got more and more interested in it as a science and decided to start logging my investigations and get more experience.
1: And I've always been interested in the paranormal mostly because of experiences I had as a child and it's always been a fascination for me and a couple 2 3 years ago I found somebody on a online message board who was looking to start a ghost hunting group in our area and we got together and that's that.
3: And that's that. And that's history. And we actually met, I was working as an independent consultant with different paranormal research groups around the country, which I've done for a long time rather than have a group of my own, and we worked together on an investigation here in Wisconsin. Yeah,
1: we had an investigation at a local area that was huge. It was made up of several buildings and we needed more people for the investigation, so we met a couple people online and invited them along. Luckily, you were one of them.
3: And I was one of them, and I'm here today doing a sample podcast with you. Who knew? back when we were children.
1: Oh, we knew. It was fated. It, it, was, it, was.
3: it was. It was. So I'm not really sure what else you want to talk about on this podcast. I don't
1: know either. <laughs> Basically, right now, we're just getting used to doing this so we don't feel stupid when we actually try to make the real podcasts.
3: That's good. Good to know.
1: Mm-hmm. And our group has been doing investigations for, like Barry said, about a year. Um,
3: mostly residential.
1: Mostly residential. Private we had a couple, couple businesses couple good findings which we'll probably present in later future episodes of the podcast
3: and just so you know where we're coming from our group has a predominantly scientific basis um, why we don't discount people's experiences from all over we tend to focus on the actual data we can gather ourselves so we're not a bunch of psychics or anything like that sorry can't can't offer a lot of that input
1: no but it wouldn't be a bad idea to have one
3: maybe we'll have one on the show that would be cool Maybe, maybe it could be a call show. They can call us before we even start.
1: That would be sweet. Yeah. That would make our job a lot easier. It would.
3: They could tell us what to say. Mm-hmm.
1: Now, we have nothing against groups that do use psychics. It's just, in our experience, we've kind of run into some undesirables.
3: Well, and I consider myself about a psychic as a turn up. I mean, I frequently say to people that I regard brains like radios, and we're all tuned in on different frequencies. And unfortunately, um, I don't think I'm really tune into the psychic channel too well.
1: I think I am a bit to an extent, but I think it's almost more feeling vibes, getting vibes from people than actually seeing visions and stuff like that.
3: Well, and you know, maybe that's an important distinction to make later on, you know, about that there are different kinds of psychics. And like, I would regard you as intuitive. I think you're highly intuitive. I've been surprised um, some of the instincts you have coming into cases that end up checking out in the history of the location.
1: It's just hard because of something like that. You can't really control it, and it just no. comes and goes as it, as it happens, basically.
3: Well, and you know, maybe that's a good way of, you know, you kind of take those feelings as they come. It's not the same as, a, you know, EMF meter that you turn on and off that you can compare from case to case. So when you do actually have a feeling or something like that, we do take it into account, but it's not part of our toolbox. Yeah, so that's to speak. that's
1: one of the hard things is that you know when we run into investigations where we have uneasy feelings, it's hard to give hard evidence as, yep. you know, you could just say I had an uneasy feeling in this area and that's pretty much all you can do.
3: Or we could make an uneasy feeling monitor. Maybe a sliding scale so you could, you know, rate it. That was a 7. I'll be,
1: that was like a 7 on the monitor. No, yeah. it's just, we use that but we can't use that as hard evidence. And I don't know where I'm going with that.
3: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so do you want to start over? No, I think... We should just keep rapping. Just keep rapping. All right. Well, let's see, as far as hard evidence goes, um, one of the goals I would like to accomplish with this show is to encourage everyone out there to jump in and be critical researchers, to not just tune into radio shows and take the theories that they're passing down as gospel, um, to not just, like, don't listen to us and say, well, because this team in Wisconsin kind of discounts personal experience or they don't use psychics, then that's probably how we should model our group or that's how I'm going to model our investigation. No, 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 that is my worst fear. I would like to encourage people out there to come up with their own theories, even if you're against the grain, even if you're an all-psychic team and you have no use for pens and pencils. You know. Um, if,
1: you, if you do something that gets results for you, then by all means do it and don't pay attention to anything somebody tells you is right or wrong.
3: Yeah, that's really the exciting thing about the, the science right now. Um, it's kind of still in its dark ages. I mean, we're eking out little bits that may or may not be true if we're understanding them correctly, and then we're building on it. So really, I mean, all we have is an understanding based on theory. If this is true, then this might also be true. But people tend to forget that you're making that initial leap.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: You're assuming that you understand, you know, the basics of it, which we could, we could be wrong.
1: Easily. Wrong. Very, easily. very easily be
3: wrong in fact I'm sure we have the majority of it wrong but so many people um, look to the experts, the so called experts and forget that I mean while you can have hard science experience you know you can talk about environmental science you can talk about um, the effects of electromagnetic fields in a home, you can talk about psychological experiences um, but as far as building a paranormal science on it Um, We're still really eking that out. And it's really easy for people um, maybe who are hobby ghost hunters to have that taken away from them because they don't have all the expensive equipment, Mm -hmm. you know, or they're not doing this, you know, six cases a week. Um, They're not on a TV show. Yeah. You know, so it's easy to sometimes kind of discount your own knowledge. The
1: popularity of the, the ghost hunting hobby right now is kind of both a blessing and a curse where more people are aware of it, but then there's also the shows give some false ideas as to what it all entails so it's kind of both a good thing and a bad thing
3: i would agree i mean i'm so glad to have the passion out there the hobby out there that now i mean there are websites that sell ghost gear so to speak you know where once upon a time it was piecemeal through radio shack through this or you know just from networking with other groups long before we had the internets when you you know had to kind of hear what different people were putting out there or read books, you know, case studies that were from the 70s, so you could really glean what they had used and try to take it to the next step yourself, but it wasn't, you know, the huge information bonanza now, but I almost feel like because people have TV shows or have these high profile groups um, we're kind of losing some of the creativity um, kind of people's own personal experiences or methods Mm -hmm. you know, and we don't need a million cookie cutter groups because they're already testing those methods. We need the groundbreakers out there who are going to try something, you know, that nobody else has correlated before, you know? Maybe humidity and, you know, the EMFs and the cycle of the moon, you know?
1: But I do think there are groups that are thinking outside the box. It's just that those are very few and far between, and the majority of them, like you said, investigate like they see it done on TV. And then they don't find anything in an investigation, and they become disheartened with the whole thing, and
3: Or they, you know, there are people who are excited because they've done what they consider to be adequate research and come up with findings, and then when it's debunked, instead of taking it as a tool for them to grow stronger as a researcher, they feel like, well, they were criticized on it, or because they didn't have a TV show, nobody believes them, or when they're told, you know, you really need to back your research up, where are you coming from with this? You can't say, well, this is how they do it on TV. Well, no, if you don't understand why you're there. You know, then any data you have is really kind of garbage from it. Exactly. If you can't explain how you got it or what it means. But can I ask you a question? Go right ahead. You're talking about teams who think outside the box. But do you feel like there are some very clear boundaries in paranormal research that people are reluctant to step over? I don't know. Like, you know, in our circle, if somebody were to come in and say, I'm going to use a Ouija board in my residential investigations.
1: Yeah, we'd all be very... Skittish about that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: We would all say no. Now, do you think that that is just kind of a standout because we don't really know what forces control that or because it has such a bad reputation?
1: I don't know because there are a lot of groups that do use table tipping or Ouija boards and come up with results, and we just don't.
3: And should their data, do you you personally feel like their data should be weighed as heavily as someone who has an all-scientific experience and reports back on the environmental conditions for the eight hours they were there.
1: Yes, I do. It's, if they still have experiences, it's still an experience. I might, While I might not agree with the methods they use, I think their results have to be taken into account.
3: The reason why I bring that up is just to kind of make the argument that anything you do, at least in my opinion, anything you do, as long as you know why you're doing it, how it works, or how you anticipate it working, then it's a legitimate method. I mean, you can't just kind of magically say, well, we, you know, threw this out there and we got this in response and expect it to stand on its own. But, you know, if you throw it out there every investigation, you know, you're going start to start to build your own data on it. So even if there are a million groups doing it or somebody on TV doing it, it can be a very legitimate research method for you.
1: Uh, our group might not even be any better because we don't use psychics. And sometimes we scoff at using psychics while there are groups that use psychics and come up with very good results oh yeah you know I, th- I think somewhere down the road these groups are going to end up coming together and getting some kind of nationwide worldwide database where there will be leaps and bounds taken in progressing study of the paranormal
3: yeah that's what has me so excited about all the grass the grass grassroots research going on right now
1: easy for you to say easy
3: for me to say um <laughs> We could never replicate this many hours and this many variables in a lab. It couldn't happen. I mean, it wouldn't happen. They couldn't have three accredited research teams going around the country gathering all these things, you know? And while these might not be watertight experiments or, you know, lab conditions, they're still very raw data being brought forward, you know? And I think on some level, um, they're gonna have to be recognized that we can't explain everything. For every slip shot investigator you have, you have the one investigator who has, you know, the holy grail of EVPs or or the full body apparition that are so few and far between, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that's kind of exciting to me to have all these people out in the field, whether they're a hobby researcher or they're hoping to do this academically. You know, we all come from different walks, but I think everybody wants to see it move out of the gray area and become a science or at least be recognized
1: i think right now part of the problem is is that groups are very territorial oh yeah where i think i think part of the blame for that has to be put on the tv shows too because people see the level of fame that some of these ghost hunting groups get and they want that themselves and they aren't willing to share that with anybody but i think as time goes on these groups will be more open to communicating with other paranormal research groups and that's when the ball will really get rolling on progressing this as a as a A valid scientific study.
3: I thought you were just doing this podcast to get famous.
1: I'm already famous. (laughs) You're already
3: famous. In your own mind. In my own mind. Yeah, well, I think it's important to address kind of the territorial ideal. Um, Like I said, I've been doing this for about 15 years, and I have seen fads come and go. I've seen people come and go. Burnout is really high. You know, of people who are so excited, or they have their own personal motives to jump in. Sometimes it's thrill-seeking, and... You know, about the fifth time you come home cold and sleepless and have nothing to show for it, you know, except for maybe five extra pounds from whatever snack food you brought along, Um, they burn out and they go on to the next thing, you know, or there are the people who are disillusioned, that are searching for something, that want to hear from someone, you know, that are hanging so much more than just curiosity on the line, Mm -hmm. Um, but... Then you get kind of all the old dogs that when a new group pops up, they shake their head and they say, oh, what did these people want out of it? Why are these people getting into it? Mm -hmm. You know, as if they were going to somehow take something away from the people who had been in it so long. Exactly. And I'm hoping that with the influx of new groups, that really goes away, you know, because really your choice is going to be to jump in and keep up with the science or to just be crotchety and old and hang out and flame people on the internet.
1: That's what I do most of the time.
3: Yeah. That's alright, you can stay warm that way. You're not out in a field with with a camcorder all night or anything.
1: Looking at dust orbs. Looking
3: at dust orbs. Yeah, and that's you know, with this radio show, um, I really hope to bring about thought and not just rote opinion. How many times have we talked about like, oh, you know, the orbs, why are people so obsessed with orbs? Or, you know, because of a certain television show that does not give any credit to orbs, suddenly they're all out with the you know, bath water. Yeah,
1: people kinda follow Yeah. What they see on TV
3: Yeah, and that's unfortunate This is a science that We can't stand to do that because we don't have Any laws right now You know, I would hate to, in my inbox Of 200 new orb pictures To send to people, throw away the one That I couldn't explain Because I was rolling my eyes at orbs Exactly You know, So I think it's important to keep learning Keep reassessing, keep asking yourself Why you believe certain things You know
1: that's one of the things we want to do in future podcasts. We're going to be discussing certain topics like EVPs or talking about uh, ghost hunting myths. And we don't want to come across as being experts and saying that this is the way things should be done. And this is the way things need to be done. We just want to present our thoughts.
3: Yeah, I would really, I'm not going to give you any answers. If anything, I want to load you up with more questions if you are a ghost hunter now, I want you to question yourself about what do you believe? Why do you believe it? Um, how much research have you done? You know, have you been bothered to pick up books? Have you been bothered to follow up on other theories to consider what people who don't agree with you are saying? Um, if you're a hobbyist, why are you doing it? Do you Are you doing it to get something back or to give something? Or is it just how you fill the hours? You know. Um, Really, I think the more critical people get of themselves and of their research methods, it won't be discouraging. It'll be an encouragement, more confident in their work, more understanding of what's going on out there. Mm -hmm. You know, it's so easy to, like us, shake your head about, oh, an all-psychic team. Why? You know, we can kind of take apart our own biases in that and realize that we don't have a full spectrum view
1: so we're going to be learning just as much from doing this as you people are
3: yeah that's kind of one of the challenges set forth is i mean i can't tell you many times somebody asks me a question i'll start on one of my long-winded things and the summation of it will be but i don't really know like i just gave you all of that word you know soup out there and bottom line is i don't know what do you think what do you think about it Um, because really, aside from the hard sciences that contribute to ghost hunting that people can tell you, environmental science or psychology, you know, all the, the, the actual things that will have answers, how they interact is open to consideration.
1: Yeah. The only answers that are available in our field are the technical answers, like how you use programs to clean up EVPs, how you can clean up photos, but everything else is subjective.
3: Well, and to clean up what you think are EVPs, you know, to clean up what we think are supernatural photos, you know. I mean, even then, you're really only, your work is only as good as your understanding is. Yes. You know, how many times do you see pictures where you can easily explain the phenomena that's been documented there by knowing how a camera works?
1: And I've even run into myself on one of our investigations where I thought I had something... That looked to be like a yellow noose tied around a window frame and found out that it was just the setting on the camera and my hand shaking, and a light post off in the
3: distance. Yep, because your night shot had extended the exposure and gave you a nice little circular noose shape.
1: And I was all excited for nothing.
3: No, you were excited for something. Yeah, but I learned. The next noose you get, you're going to check your camera setting. Yep. And I mean... Like I said, I've been investigating for how long, and I had um, that little glitch, which would be fun to play.
1: Yeah, we'll you know, in a future.
3: Yeah, that I mean, sounded like an explosive EB- EVP, but then to compare it against the other recorders that were running at the time, it's just a little glitch that my digital recorder had and hit. And it, it, it
1: happened to play a bunch of different noises at once, and it sounded strange. It sounded yeah. kind of spooky, and then it turns out. It was nothing.
3: No, it was just a hiccup. But, you know, better for knowing that. And I don't think it takes away from us as investigators. It actually makes us stronger. Because then the next time I hear a hiccup or you see a noose, you know, we can recall this situation and say, I have to check the other recordings. I need to check the other pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, um, that's one of the reasons why I'm so happy that there are places on the internet for hobbyists to share their pictures. It's not about professionals telling you you're doing it all wrong. But it's getting feedback of people saying, you know what, it looks like to me... I wasn't there, but this is what I see. That's priceless. Mm -hmm. Because trust me, I've exhausted my friends and family. They don't want to see my could be ghost pictures anymore.
1: Yeah. They don't want (laughs) to hear my
3: might be an EVP. So to have an audience out there, people who are actively seeking it out.
1: Is exciting.
3: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big gift.
1: So basically, don't look to us for answers in these podcasts because we really don't have any we will share our experiences and our beliefs and some of our findings but as far as hard solid answers we got nothing
3: we got nothing we're that's what we're looking for along with everybody else
1: Yep. And um, if, they, if they say they have answers they're wrong they're wrong
3: yeah and you know in this i would also like to you know have some book reviews make it available it's really easy to um read kind of the unofficial textbooks that come down the line, but one of the things I like to do is to look outside, you know, the uh, paranormal section of the bookstore and see what other sciences we can have that have implications in our study. Um, I think to discuss some of the theories that we distinctly don't buy into or don't believe in, um, it's just as important to understand those as it is to know what you believe. You know, it's to understand why you don't believe the other theories. Mm -hmm. So... And who knows? Maybe we'll have some guests. You think we'll have guests? In we the may have
1: guests. Who knows? We're. I may even bust out a rendition of Young MC's "Bust a Move."
3: That would be great. So, so many things to look forward to. I don't really know what time. Do you know we what don't
1: time? know yet. We're. This could be monthly. It could be bi-monthly. It could be yearly.
3: Yearly? Are yearly podcast
1: yeah, We don't know, but we've. I've heard quite a few other podcasts. Some of them I like better than others. But we're going to try just to do our own thing and not pattern ourselves on somebody else's podcast, and we're just going to talk.
4: Yeah. Yep.
1: And that's about it for this podcast. And now we're out of stuff to talk about. now we're out of stuff. We'll see you again next year. (laughs) All right. But no, so there'll be more from us in the future. Like Barry said, we're planning on one that's just going to be EVPs. We might have one where we go over some of our previous case files. We might have guests. Who knows? It's going to be exciting. So just stay tuned and we'll see what we have in store.
3: All right. Excellent. Thank you.
1: And thank you for listening. Bye.